Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Kyle Timberlake. I'm Mike Grant. I'm Brishad Navidi. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. That's right. Back again with the uh, Surge and Destroy boys. Uh, uh, back by popular demand, fellas. Uh, people, people enjoyed it. Yeah, people enjoyed our, our episode last time. So, do they have head trauma? Yeah, uh, I don't. Perhaps. <laughs> who's who's who forced them? <laughs> I think they were just excited to hear about my uh, who I'm going to hire to carry my display board. Maybe that was the the winning Ooh. the winning a uh, little bit. But uh, I'm really excited to have the Surge and Destroy fellows back on the show. Uh, we've got a really exciting, really cool episode. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit of Lone Wolf. You know, Rob and I were on the show recently talking about our Lone Wolf experience, but I'm he- curious to hear how, how it went for the Surge and Destroy fellas. And then also, we're going to look at a little bit about, so you want to go to a tournament, how do you even make that happen, right? I know for me, I don't know how it was for you fellas, but I know for me, going to my very first tournament was kind of nervous. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, so we really want to kind of take you guys through every step of the way about what to think about uh, when going to a tournament. So we'll take we'll, we'll take a little bit kind of uh, an adventure through all the stuff that we like to think about when we're traveling to a tournament. Well, I mean, was that your experience when you guys went to your first miniatures tournament? Were you like a little nervous at first or what was it like for you guys? Or was it so long ago you don't even remember? <laughs> well, I'll start it off I, I just because it's it's a pretty like epic entry into Kings of War for me. I've been to a couple of 40k tournaments, but it was by myself, or it wasn't really a, a big thing. But when uh, my gaming group got into Kings of War, we wanted to go to a big GT tournament. At the time in the West Coast, there was a couple one days maybe. So we decided to go to uh, Bayou Battles in Houston, and we drove 24 hours there for the weekend, and then you know drove 24 hours back. So we had to make sure everything was packed in the car <laughs> to go to the tournament. And it was interesting just because, you know, Texas is also known for having kind of wacky scenarios and stuff. And that was the the infamous Bayou Battles with the soccer match <laughs> game. So that was – it was interesting going there, seeing a different way of, um, of people playing the game. I don't think we had anything rules-wise that was bad, but it was just – Different meta, different rule, uh, different scenarios, and and things like that. So it was uh, it was a great time, and it, it, we we had a blast, and I've been playing tournaments ever since. But that was like a, a memorable first entry into Kings of War for me. Yeah, and I know I think the West Coast GT was your first tournament, Rashad, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, this is during like uh, Warhammer End of Eighth Edition, and I had been wanting to go to a tournament for a long time. I had been a garage gamer for a long time had maybe played 20 or 30 games of Ace at the time with my buddies at his house. And yeah, I was just wanting to get into the competitive scene. I was hella nervous, I remember, before my my first game. I was the asshole that was running Purple Sun Osirius on right on a flying uh, mounted caster. I do remember was playing on that then. I didn't do well because I didn't realize that if you had brought a software list, they had a comp system and um, you could do much better because you would get your points in the comp system. But overall, it was an amazing experience because it was a 
I think we had 65, 66 players, something like that. Mark Cox and Jeff Swan were there, even though I didn't even know him then. I didn't even talk to them then. I got introduced to them way later in uh, King's times. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a great experience at the Elks Lodge. Uh, we were drinking like crazy. I remember at some point I was slamming the table, singing, uh, uh, you know, songs about wargaming. It was it was pretty sweet. And Mike, had you got? Had, I know you kind of have a background in Warhammer fantasy, but had, do you remember was was doing tournaments? Was that a like a love at first sight? Like once you did it, you just loved it right away, or did it grow over time? Or sorry, what? Talk to me a, bit, a little bit about how you fell in love with going to tournaments. Well, you know, I, I guess I'm one of the legacy guys out here. I, I started probably going to tournaments back in the early 90s. I had a, a group of friends back then, you know, back in college days, and uh, we decided to go to Strategicon when you're, it was like, let's just go to the convention. And then it was like, oh, we're going to go play in a tournament at the convention, you know? <laughs> and and that was a, a pretty good experience. I, I'd say that was my funnest. Uh, getting into the world of, of competitive gaming was a really a, a great opportunity to, to, to meet the community, expand the community, find new players, see where I stood in the whole perspective of the broader players in in a in a larger community setting, I thought that was a really great experience. So so yeah, I also went to um, uh, Rashad mentioned going to the West Coast GT. I was already um, kind of in the, that community with uh, with Jeff um, with Jeff Swan, uh, Fred Whitney, Scott, you know the guys, and uh, and so Fred was running the West Coast GT. I got myself involved in West Coast Hammer Time and. And I loved it. I just, I just loved that whole time, time period. And I, I was great meeting uh, Rashad at uh, Strategicon that I was running an event. That was the first time I'd actually met Rashad, and uh, and he's been in our community ever since. So mm-hmm. that's been a that's real right, great. That's right. That's right. That's how we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was running an I event. That's how I met you and Scott. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of great reasons to go to tournaments. And when we talk about things today in our show, when we things to keep in mind when you're planning and preparing, we're going to touch a little bit about uh, that. It's like why go to a tournament in the first place? Because I think there's one of those things where there's lots of right, correct answers for that question, right? There's no one answer on why you would want to maybe do that. So we're going to kind of cover all those different aspects of how to prepare to go for to a tournament what to look out you know uh, we got some great questions from the audience that we're going to sprinkle in as we're touching on each topic Um, but before we get into that you know since we haven't had uh, the fellows on since lone wolf and really lone wolf was sort of one of the first really a little bit bigger tournaments that we've had sort of post-covid i'm excited to hear kind of your guys experience let's start with you first mike you know was there uh, feel free to talk about your games or or the social aspect of the tournament or whatever what sort of stood out in your mind from your your lone wolf adventure lone wolf was one of those events that's a legacy event and so i would i would go as far to say like it's lone wolf's been around for i don't know what 20 30 years and they've played a different group of games throughout that time period so over the years i've asked a community you know who's going to lone wolf and uh, there's only a few of us that have actually done it and uh and, and you know talking to kyle about it talking to scott about it i was like one of these years i'm going to go out there and, and we're going to go enjoy it before i did i actually went to samurai showdown which really was another great event and that really just made it even better just going to lone wolf and and seeing that same a similar crowd out there uh at, at, a, at a legacy event that was just a really great experience and and kudos for for mark cox for for pushing that legacy forward, and and especially in this COVID time, when uh, people are are really wanting to get back out on the tables, we followed the rules, we followed the structure. Everybody was really good to each other. Um, th- that just couldn't be thanked enough, and and I think it's just one of the best things about this community. Awesome. And then I think you brought your new lady friend, right? How how I did? did she, how did she sort of 
like the whole thing. Yeah, so I, you know, it was really interesting. We've had we've had lots of com- she and I we've had lots of conversations about our community and uh, and and the gaming event and and I think she she appreciated. It. I think she really enjoyed it. One of the things was getting the opportunity to take her with me. She could experience what it's like to come out here. She walked in and watched around the tables, listened to us play. Talked to some of the guys, you know, she mentioned Rashad and a couple other people that came up to her and, 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 th- and she brought home something with it. You know, I that was really great. Uh, obviously we didn't have a lot of, uh, spouses out there. So there wasn't, uh, um, like that kind of, uh, connection yet. And I'm, and I'm sure that some of the events have more or less depending on where the event is. And, uh, but we did get the opportunity. So I'm, I'm from Texas, so I, I took her to some of my favorite Texas haunts, and we did, you know, I love country dancing, and I'm a country DJ as well on the side, and I uh, got the opportunity to to show her that around. And anyway, we had a really great time out at, at these events, and, and I hope that we can do something similar for the people that come out for Real of Steel, because we've got a lot to offer out here as well. Yeah, it's cool. I felt like each event that I've taken Hillary to, it's kind of she gets it right she get it's not only an acceptance of this is my partner and this is what they like to do but they see why we like it so much because of all the uh, of the awesome models and great friends and they they like really get it why we spend all this time and money and effort because it does take time and money and effort to go to a tournament right that's one thing i got from her is after uh lone wolf was just a real understanding of okay i totally get why you guys love this so much and then what about from your games anything stand out or any beautiful armies you saw or any like cool moments or anything from your games stand out i'm sorry i was gonna say before we jump there i was gonna say something about the you know, spouse and better half thing. It's always so nice when you go to Lone Wolf because uh, Lindsay is always there supporting Mark and Jen's always there supporting Jeff. So it's, you always, you have like a spouse ready set up. And this year was particularly nice because Hillary came with Jeremy and hung out with all of us at the uh, Lone Wolf GT as well. So like I'm, I'm actually enjoying my friend's spouses a lot as well when they're coming to the tournaments. They have become friends now, right? Like, I'm really excited to say uh, to see Lindsay Jen and uh, Hillary every time I go to tournaments. So that's a that's another thing that I didn't expect that we have friendships going in that direction as well. And and that's often like something that we talk about. The secret sauce of the tournament is that uh, it's the relationships you build, you know, and friendships. Like uh, Mike mentioned, how he met Rashad. I met Rashad at Alamo. You know, and it's like you don't realize that not only are these people your your gaming partners, but they become part of your your extended family. Well, you know, the games were great, but at first I thought it would be just <laughs> first thing I want to talk about is a little bit about the armies out there. When you go to these larger grand scale events, you really get a, a grasp of people's artistic impressions. I, I think that doesn't get enough merit at some of these events. We you know, sometimes you people will spend weeks or even months, some sometimes a year or more, uh, making a project, and just to get it completed and and put it on the table, it has a significant value to not only that person but I think the other the opponent that's across the table. And it felt like everyone had done just an amazing an amazing job from the landscapes that they'd chosen for, for dynamic basing, dynamic models, uh, from choosing 3D printed selections. I mean, even the, the resin printed and 3D printed models out there, I think they don't get enough. There's not enough reward, I think, for people who are taking on that undertaking. I, I think there's some people that buy them, right? And and that's fine There's because there's a market for that. Uh, but when when you get a chance to do your, your own artistic impression in the game, 
there's there's just something else there. I mean, you everybody can play the same models, but you can also take that abstract impression and put that on the table and show a piece of your personality and show of your interest in the game. I I I took I'm certain I I took pictures of everyone's army because it it's a part of it's a part of the the heartbeat of the community to to see the the color palettes that somebody chose. Like there was a a blue and pink Night Stalker army that was on a, like a desert landscape and and I thought to myself wow that's that's fascinating because someone took the time to come up with that obviously we had some fantastic armies like the clowns that that was just fantastic the the <laughs> the dynamic scene from from all of the um the circus tent I don't know if you guys remember that uh, yeah John Hogue's Night Stalker uh, carnival carnival army a, is very cool what a fantastic yeah, that was very beautiful that's just just gorgeous uh we had uh, a number of uh order the green ladies uh, armies out there that were just gorgeous. Uh, it was just fantastic uh, impressions on armies. So, I mean, I, I think there's just not enough appreciation for this part of the hobby that's out there. Not, not that those people didn't get rewarded in some way in their paint. I, I, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I think what I'm what I'm going for, and this hobby gives the the player really the opportunity to explore uh, with the abstract blocks. You can really just do something fascinating with that. And, you know, we saw LED, we saw, <laughs> we've seen all kinds of great, fascinating approaches out there. So I, I just wanted to, to make a, make a quick statement about that. Like a little spider that's climbing on the wall from, <laughs> from that spider. It's, that it's the magic of the multi-base, right? It's what, <laughs> it's what makes the hobby so amazing that it, you have these units, but it could really be, a, you could tell so many great stories in that you have the square piece of MDF and you could kind of create on it, like whatever you want, basically. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me thinking of that uh, of um, is it John Hogue? What, what's that guy's name? Um, Hank Hank Goo, Goo Hank. Right? Yeah. yeah, Hank. He's he's got that that the penguins that were underneath that that um, the the underworld thing there. I guess they had like a uh, what do you call that when there's a a waterway or something that's underneath there with the snow and everything. The LED lighting on his his big display with the penguins and the snow. Yeah, pretty cool. That was that was just he he'd outdone himself with that, and he's he's often obviously pro, um, set the standard pretty high for for uh, for these competitive events. Um, you know, Jeremy, your your army is by no means a slouch out there. Your army looks gorgeous. You know, so oh, thank you, let, thank you, know, you. You've done a great job uh, on that impression, and I mean, I'm really loving what you're doing with that. And you've been working like on that. Um, you have that uh, that lion um, with the wings. Um, is that your dragon or yes the, that i use i have like a winged lion basically that i use as my uh, paladin on a dragon yeah your your lion ascendant uh, army idea was is just fantastic i just i just love it so um, i think more more people should should look into you know um doing the lions and stuff for well it's one of the great aspects of kings you know of kings of war is that we can have all this freedom to multi-base and i think that it was one of the things I noticed coming back to the tournament too, that you just totally miss on UB. And we've all talked about like things we like about UB and things we don't like about UB. But one thing that you really don't notice how much you miss for me anyway, was until I was at a real tournament and saw 55 armies all painted. Well, all painted minus a couple. So as we go to Mr. Timberlake, uh, who did amazingly on his battle score with his dwarves, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, having unfinished army at that tournament specifically, it really, really t- took a big chunk out of my overall score. Mm-hmm. 
people don't go there and mess around. They they show up uh, well. So, well, so not finishing my army took uh, hurt my soul, but it's deserved. But but battle wise, you did great, Kyle. What was how was the lone wolf for you? How was the whole experience for you? Oh, it's great. I mean, like that's this is my third. I think my third time going to lone wolf, and it's kind of been like a progression in my kings of war history like every time i go i'm doing better and better i think i ended up i was four and one last time but i ended up 17th place i took a big loss in the last round and i ended up uh ninth in battle points this time with a three one and one so i'm always kind of creeping up there uh avoiding the big names like uh tom annis and super beast and stuff so you know i haven't, I haven't faced uh <laughs> i haven't faced the super super heavy hitters yet but i'm 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 floating in the bigger bigger boy pool now in, in terms of battle points and stuff and uh, it's fun. It's fun doing that with a uh, almost all foot dwarf army. So yeah, which is you kind of taken up the standard, the Kevin von Felt standard. When yeah, he yeah. took a break from the game, right, of playing <laughs> infantry dwarves. Yeah, the um, internet says I can't do it, so I'm gonna do it. Damn it! So you're gonna do it. It always <laughs> feels good to be your own special snowflake. You know, yeah, I'm very uh, put you in a reverse choke sort of uh, snowflake, <laughs> right, for you, but um, <laughs> but still a snowflake nonetheless. But um, anything stand out in your games? Or I know you got to play Rob. How was your game? Right, you, yeah, that, you got to play Rob. How was that game? That was really fun. I mean, it's it's one of those things I've I've heard his voice and name for years now. Listen to Countercharge and and stuff, and so it's all like, oh yeah, hey, first round, like you get to play this guy. I was like awesome this is you know this is one this is that's one of the cool things going to gt and stuff you get to meet the uh the big names in the hobby and things and it was a fun game his his um his halflings painted awesomely it's a it's a really it was a really cool army to see and i like his basing how he had the units kind of like on different tiers and stuff like that and, and the models were awesome so it was a really cool army to play against we had a bit of a bit of a wacky game i by the i deployed and it was this is something i didn't realize until the fifth round was I was expecting dot deployment because normally in Texas tournaments, including Lone Wolf, you have dot deployment for terrain before stuff happens. And I didn't see any dots. So I was standing there with Rob Fanouf, like, we're not doing dot. He's like, no, we just have the train here. He's like, yeah, all right, cool. So my next, all my first, my four games, I didn't touch any terrain until round five when I played Top Serpico. I was like, all right, you're ready to roll off for uh, terrain. I'm like, oh, we're doing that? So, <laughs> so that it made it interesting. You know, I'm, I'm used to playing just whatever's on the table, so it didn't really bother me. But that first match, what, with the table we were on, there was just a line of terrain across the whole table, and we're playing the Lone Wolf version of Invade. I'm like, I'm a dwarf army that has to. I can't even march across the board. I'm walking across the board, and it, it took me six turns to get my army to the other side of the board to to eke out a draw. Uh, but we had a wacky uh, artillery duel where. Both of our each side's cannons were were hitting way above average, and I mine because I took three instead of two. You know, <laughs> he's got to he's got to improve his list and do three cannons. Uh, my first round was absolutely nuts. Right, I had two cannons. One couldn't shoot because he was able to redeploy. He he got the big three on his redeployment for the captain and was able to to shift all of his units away from one of my cannons. Uh, but I. Shot three units, and I wavered all three units, including his giant, on the first turn with just, like, epic, you know, good player rolling. Uh, and it kind of just, both of us, our, our cannons and shooting just were hot most of the game. But it was also, like, that weird secondary thing where I had regiments. I had lots of regiments, and he had a regiment, so I got a big uh, secondary benefit just because I had regiments on his his deployment zone, and he's like, I got one, and it didn't get over there. <laughs> 
Yeah, for so, that for that lone wolf scenario, there was it was invade, but you got extra bonus points if you could get a regiment into your your opponent's deployment yeah. area. But but if you don't have a regiment in your army, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of SOL, right? Yeah, and I think that's one big thing with Lone Wolf is that the the secondaries are really important to pay attention to, and sometimes they can be a bit wacky. So um, it's you really have to be focusing on that from the get go, and sometimes you get a much bigger win just by doing secondaries than you do by actually getting the doing the main objective. A lot of times. Yeah, and that's an important part, and we're going to talk about that later when we get in the tournament. Is is really paying attention to the tournament pack and really understanding what the scenarios call for, and not looking at the scenario on turn five and being like, okay, let me look at these bonus <laughs> points. Oh, wait a minute. Unless it's Texas gonna... <laughs> Hold'em, because you can't keep track of that one. <laughs> uh, I, I love Mark to death, but that, I just let stupid scenario. Um, yeah, Rob. Rob's army really, he, he flies under the radar sometimes as a hobbyist, but man, his halfling army is beautiful. It's yeah, like the, really the well non, painted. The non-metallic metal he does on the, on the armor for him was really nice, because like, like that and OSL has become a really hot, like hot button, like painter thing. A lot of people are doing OSL. A lot of people are doing non-metallic metal, and like you could see who's really good at doing that and who's doing it just to do a rubric, right? Uh, and he was definitely like his the metal on his halflings looked really awesome. It looked like metal from different angles. It wasn't just like a straight on. Everything else looked like a weird abstract painting. He did a really good job on, on the metal on those guys. It was it was it was a cool army to see. And, and he I'm does like a, a, a teal and white, right? Which is are, are not easy yeah. colors to do yeah. either. So. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a green and white uh, uh, warlord lanchneck army, and white is such pain. <laughs> so to do a whole army like that, it's and to do it to really high standard is is very impressive. Well, what about you, Rashad? Yeah. What, what what anything stand out for you, or how was your lone wolf? Lone wolf was absolutely amazing as usual. Um, having uh that experience and i think uh, kyle went three times i think this was my third time as well um yeah it's just always great it was fantastic for so all to have a tournament in general and then to be able to see you know all of our friends from rob to dan mark devlin hank that I, who i met for the first time who can i mention i mean jordan lawrence i hadn't seen in a while matt carmack todd serpico uh the dojo guys nick Nicolonis, dustin howard i mean lone wolf is just where you meet all the people right and so it was great in that sense and uh it was also cool to see a couple of new guys um on the scene actually i think uh at the end of the tournament when mark asked a really cool question because he had a lot of price support and he goes please raise your hand or stand up if this is the first time for you to come to lone wolf and those guys were the first ones to be able to go and get something from the price support table so that was really cool to see quite a few people raise their hand so it was a great opportunity to also meet new people um, and bring a couple of new people to the scene. John Douglas was there from from Reno, and so was uh, Blake Robertson and Nick. So it was really cool to see those guys, um, and you know, in person again after like a whole year of hiatus and UB games. It was really sweet for my games. Oh yeah, so Robbie King challenged me for a game one. That was fantastic because Robbie and I have known each other for I want to say three or four years now. But we had never, no, I've known him since Masters. Not true. I've known him for five years. So, yeah, we've, we had never played a game before, but we've hung out so many times at this point that we were overdue. So he challenged me and 
it was sweet. We uh, he did his he just did this. I want to deploy my whole army, and then you deploy your whole army. The the Robbie so, King special. <laughs> the Robbie King special. So basically, yeah. we just deploy both at the same time. And I have a lot of like flying things, so I felt really weird about just like waiting for him to deploy everything and then just be like, okay, I put my dragon over here. So I kind of sort of put it in the middle of the table, maybe for nature. Um, we had a really good game. Lots of weird dice rolls uh, going, you know, one way or another. Robbie's a really tight player. He's very good. Um, he had he got a few flanks and that basically got him the win sort of like in the last turn. But uh, it was so close that he was like, you know what, let's call this a 10-10. He's as good of a sport as he is uh, loose in the game at the beginning of it. So uh, it was it was a really good experience. And also we drank a lot, which, uh, you know, led to a, an interesting game too. But actually, I got to say, we didn't go too much overboard at this tourney. I think we kept ourselves pretty... Um, I, I didn't really feel a hangover on Saturday or Sunday too much, um, which is weird for Rashad, right? Who I play next? Uh, John Douglas. All right, his uh, Northern Alliance army. That one was amazing. He's uh, it's just like such a beautiful army. I think he just won best painted in at the Reno tournament, and it's got all these beautiful blues and turquoises, these you know pinks and purples that he mixed into the you know, um, ice surface of his like northern tundra uh, themed, uh, you know, northern alliance army. So that was super beautiful to look at. Like the the colors that he mixed in the ice were just um, absolutely gorgeous. And the paint in general on that army is like absolute top notch. I think he was definitely, uh, in my opinion, should have been in the running for like best painted and also player's choice. Very, very beautiful. Um, I ended up having a couple of really good roles um, and, you know, had, John, uh, I, I had him pretty much uh, under control by turn six, pretty much. And uh, I don't think we played a turn seven. And it was a big win for me. But uh, it's it was mostly like I had a couple of like really, really hot rolls when I needed them. And then one of his units wavered when, uh, you know, one of those weird waivers that really shouldn't happen. You have like a few wounds and then you roll a double six on like a dash 18 monster. It was just terrible. So it was very dice dependent but john's a very cool gentleman it was an absolute pleasure to play him i had met him in reno and uh, i just talked to him for a little bit but you know it's always different when you get to experience somebody doing a game that was great um who did i play next uh, matt bazell and he had the night starkers also a very fine gentleman i gotta say this tournament i i lucked out on how nice of opponents i've I had in between the people that i knew and i didn't know um, and Matt was one of those guys. Um, I actually, if I may say that, uh, I gave him second uh, best in sports, even though I didn't know him at all. But it was just uh, such a great experience to to play him. He was super nice. And at no point did I get the feeling that, you know, being competitive was more important to him than um, us having a good game. So that was a, a very memorable experience with him. He had a beautifully painted Night Stalker's Army. What happened in this game? We drew. That was really nice. We had a very, very tight game, and uh, it went again back and forth. I think it went into turn seven for a draw, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, fantastic game. I always like playing against Night Stalkers. It's a, it's a challenge. They have a lot of things that weird against uh, nature, I find, especially uh, with me having uh, certain defense six units that he didn't care too much because either he had crushing or... He had things that could could get into their flanks, so that was really cool to see. Um, he had this really cool character. I forgot the name. I shouldn't say I call her after the, uh, you know, the 
the herbs that you take when you get sick, <laughs> echinacea. But um, yeah, it was this character that can fly close to your characters. And They're probably use... one of the best of the Halpies Rift characters. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, the one that can uh, draw you know, uh, other characters or units towards you and if they get in base contact during combat. And it was particularly good for him because he had an objective to kill a certain caster of mine, my druid, which was on foot. And he flew behind that caster and me not knowing the character at all, I looked at a list, I was like, all right, Night Stalker is pretty, pretty normal. I know what, what's going on here. Uh, him being able to shut down my search caster, but also go after the character to score in the objective was kind of very strong, you know, which is very helpful. Actually, now in hindsight, I remember winning this game. I lucked out on the objectives, and this was what this was that game where there was a lot of, uh, you know, not to, we're not talking about scenarios yet, but this was a game where you had to pick your uh, objectives out of like a pool, and there's a couple of uh, objectives that you could both score, but I feel I got very lucky in being able to pick the first one. And me being nature, I picked dominate. I put all my stuff in the center. So I had that pretty handedly. And then I ended up killing a lot of his units. But him going over with that character and flying over my druid and pulling him into combat was super clutch. Then again, I was able to take my druid. And that's what I love about casters that have Pathfinder. They can hide way better. The druid, non mounted, was able to move 10 inches through a forest and sit on the other side. And then I was able to charge. Um, the character that he was using to fly over uh, to knock over. But at this point, he wasn't worried about the character anymore, and he actually did something else with it. He needed her to kill something else, so he never went after the druid again. But that was like a really memorable thing that happened in our game. I think this little like spiel of like the characters going back and forth, and he has like an ability that's really good against Surge, because he can just fly over and shut down the caster, right? So that was very, very memorable. So at this point, I'm sitting on a draw against Robbie and two big wins actually against John and Matt. And going into my game four, I'm playing Grant's Basilian's uh, Elohi, the flying spam Elohi list, which in hindsight now, not only, so the army was beautifully painted, Grant did a really, really good job on the overall look and feel of the army. It looked very, very beautiful and mostly Mantic. And he made Elohi great again in that sense. And it was very challenging to play against because he had all of these angles, left and right. Um, everything basically is nimble. He had Julius in there as well. Um, he had Talawar, so like he had a really good uh, source of Bane Chant that he could cast from far away, which I had never played against that character before, and it was really, really fun to play against. Um, it came down to his... Uh, he had two regiments of Elohi on each flank. Uh, one, one regiment of an Elohi, uh, of Elohi on each flank. And... I kind of disrespected them by throwing in just the beast of nature on each side, one on foot and one mounted. And I gave him the charges uh, in forests or in hindered terrain. So like he sort of like had a, I knew he's going to do one or two wounds, maybe three going in. Did the math in my head and I was like, I should probably beat these, me being 15, 17 and um, having vicious. But in the end, he won both battles, I think, due to him wavering my beast and them not having inspiring and him being self-inspiring and I couldn't kill him in time. So that turned the game to in his favor and he was able to uh, overwhelm me and actually get a really big win. And, but it was a, a amazing game. And Grant was one of my very first opponents at 
my first Kings of War tournament at U.S. Masters five years ago in Nashville. And it's always just memorable to see him and to hang out with him. He's somebody I hang out with a lot on After Dark. So um, up until the tournament, him and I had probably talked maybe maybe like 20 times in the three or four weeks leading up to Lone Wolf about painting, about the armies and where we were at. So it was just super sweet to get that in life, you know, in, in person experience with him again. So that was great. Who did I play next? Jason Johnson. Okay, so this guy got my best sport. And again, I went to somebody I didn't know, and it was surprising how good of a game I had with somebody I didn't know. Jason is like the utmost gentleman. And when I told Mark, like later on, when Mark and I were hanging out after the tournament, and he was like, who's your game six? And I'm like, Jason Johnson. And he goes, oh, my God, that was like a sports table, huh? Because uh, uh, no big deal. I got third in sports. But uh, Jason Johnson himself is an incredible sport himself. He is the nicest guy ever. I mean, uh, we, we had such good conversations all throughout. Um, he's an engineer and a super smart dude. You know, just we had conversations about life, but also about the game. So I just hit it off with that guy. We had a great time. We weren't even drinking. We were just because he had to drive home after the tournament. It goes straight up. Uh, but yeah, just such a sweet dude. And had a great game against him and his abyssals. Uh, this was my draw, actually, the one I confused earlier. Um, very, very tight game. I got to say, I'm like not very experienced against Abyssals. I have also been being in game five, but he caught me on one or two mistakes and uh, uh, it ended up being a draw. Very, very close game. And yeah, I couldn't have asked cool. for a better result because against the good sport, I want to, I'd rather draw. <laughs> right. So it sounds like you had some good games. Um, we had plenty of fun, like hanging out. We'll touch, we'll touch, uh, basis after a break here in a second about what we're working on hobby wise but let's say like takeaways let's go with you mike from the table from your games do you have any takeaways from the tournament or or play styles you noticed or anything sort of you you took home with you from lone wolf uh from the actual your your games themselves oh that was an interesting question you know lone wolf is a specialist event It, it really is uh uh highly competitive and it's also a niche uh, world uh, or event, and and I say that in the, in a in a light of this is a next level gaming event. So if you if you're enjoying your community, you want to try a real challenge. Lone Wolf is going to put you against some of the top players of uh, the South for sure, and uh, and there's no doubt that uh, the South players are are community leaders when it comes to competitive play. Uh, as well as as artistic impression, as we talked about before. The specialist side of Lone Wolf, uh, from my experience and after going to tournaments all over the world, uh, the specialist side of it is the uniqueness of the event. And um, so I I wouldn't consider uh, Lone Wolf to be the standard of all tournament events. This is if you want to go to the next level. And um, so with that in mind, um, I I do have some, some, some general need to know kind of things that would be good for anyone that want to explore taking the, uh, the next level challenge to go to, to Lone Wolf. Um, Lone Wolf has, has two key factors that, that probably are important things if you're going to choose to go to that event. One is practice, practice two things. One is, is terrain seemed uh, to be a really big topic across our nation. And in this regard, Lone Wolf didn't use a terrain placement. It was player placed terrain 
terrain placement. Uh, the challenge with that has something to do with being able to put the terrain in locations that favor your army. And uh, so there's, there's good discussions for that either way. And um, what I would say that that's important to know is if you knew that ahead of time, we could make lists that would be appropriate for that environment. So um, that being that the nation plays differently, uh, keep that in mind when you're going to choose to go to an event to find out what it is that's going to be happening for 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 your um, army. If you're going to make a list and it's going to be in this kind of a competitive competitive environment, and you're looking to be competitively successful. Uh, that kind of information is important. Uh, so uh, going back on that, um, had I, let's say the list that I, bid, uh, I built, I, I played a goblin list and, and just to kind of generalize, um, I played with um, three goblin hordes, a troll horde unit, four mobbies packs, three mincer mobs. I played with uh, three rock throwers, a king uh, that basically wasn't inspiring with the pendant and a stingit, which had uh, the wings of honey maze so it can fly. Uh, and then I had a wizard. And uh, lastly, that inspiring wizard that I, I had um, had Bane Chant and then uh, Mogwan Joes. So this turned out to be about 18 units on the table. A lot of it can shoot and a lot of it can, can grind. And um, so I'm looking for a, a particular play style and a particular type of table uh, to, to use on my army. Um, so had I known... What, what kind of uh, scenarios and what kind of um, uh, tables we were going to be playing on or, or, or style, I, I'm not so certain I would have brought this army. Uh, and I, I think that that goes to all the nation. I, I think I'm talking to the nation here when it comes to creating your army and, and thinking about what a strong army is versus a not so strong. Um, it, it's really tough to, to take a look at tournaments and say, this army is not is what's wanting these, winning these events. And yeah, but you know what, some armies didn't even come to this event, and we don't really know how strong those are. It, in also perspective, if, like over here in the West Coast, we don't use player-placed terrain that, that much. So I think um, us not practicing that had an impact on our general overall performance. I, I don't know if, if anybody else feels that way, but but um, I know I felt uh, um, some practice with that. Could have I probably could have unlocked a few strengths in my army that I that I wasn't using going into this event. Um, so I, I would have let's take for example, if someone placed a hill in the center of the table to block 90% of my shooting, I would have probably grabbed another hill and placed it on the edge of the table to make sure that didn't happen again. You know, so and the same thing for woods. Like so, I need to start thinking uh, a, a whole different line of. Uh, thought patterns when it comes to coming to these kinds of events. I, again, I go back on this and, and say this isn't a standard in Kings of War, so be prepared for those kind of preparations when you go there. This is, like I said, the next level up when you really want to practice and, and play against some of the tougher guys. This is the things you need to be ready for. And I, as much as I, I, I'm not, um, I feel that it, it really made a nice challenge to to play it. And uh, had I known, I wish I had the opportunity to practice it more so I could have had a better showing. But but um, I think that the biggest takeaway for me was um, seeing all the dynamics on how uh, different Kings of War could be played. And I, and I think that goes to show that Lone Wolf wanted to really make a unique impression on the community. And it wanted to you know, we're doing this. We're, we're doing this. And, um, 
and uh, and and I think that that uh, as unique as scenar- scenarios were, uh, there are some rewards and some some downsides to them. Um, I I found a, a few of the being being a bigger army. I, I had 18 drops. Uh, I found myself struggling being super slow uh, in most of the list. Uh, most of my stuff goes speed five. Uh, 90% of it goes speed five. So uh, getting to the other side of the board is a challenge for me. And um, so I'm really having to think of a couple different dynamics for a larger army. Uh, most of the armies in the army list review that was done through uh, Hobby Sauce, which was really cool. Those guys are really cool, and I'm glad to get a chance to, to do that. I hope that continues. It's a really great hype-building type of venue. Uh, but when we get to looking at the the army lists that were at the event, a lot of them were more elite style. And that goes to show that these guys know what they're getting into, that it's smaller lists. And um, so again, I'm thinking back and going, okay, oh, geez, I wish I, I wish I was a little bit more prepared for this event. Um, and uh, I mean, I've got plenty of elite lists I could have taken. And uh, so I, I think I, I ended up being a little bit more handicapped than I expected I would for the event. Um, and uh, so Looking at some of these missions, we had the COVID one, which which was a was an interesting one. When you took damage whenever you picked up the counter, <laughs> so it was like, oh wow. Well, not necessarily every time. There's a, a random chance for damage, and then there's kind of some effects that could happen to your unit. It could slow you down, or or you be worse in combat, and and so there were some really interesting things to think about there. Then there was a a scenario with a storm. So the storm was going to be in, in one quarter of the table, and then it would randomly be appearing in another. And so that significantly would affect my shooting, for example. So then I was like, oh, man, really, I need to be playing a melee army here. <laughs> and then the another army would came up, another uh, round, I think it was round three maybe, and we had um, – we had a scenario where it was just literally felt like every scenario. <laughs> it's just like, like wow. Um this is so much going on here that you were, I, I felt like it, it took away from the time factor of the game. So, you, so if you were thinking about how you're going to win the game, there was so much you could consider. So you had, I mean, it made sense to figure out how the opponent was going to achieve victory. So then you had to, to go through those, this kind of selection process, which, which scenario are you going to deny your opponent and also try to achieve uh, that? That's a pretty complex um, set of scenarios to be putting into um, uh, a game at this level, but but I, I remember thinking at this going, okay, this is might as well just be kill, <laughs> you know, because because really there's no way to achieve try to achieve getting all of these situations. The the more you just kill your opponent, the better, um, and I, and I think that kind of resonated uh, from, from other yeah. I think I, I think heard. that was a strategy a couple people used for that. Uh, uh, Texas Hold'em scenario is that there was so much to keep track of. They were just like, I'm just going to try to kill my opponent's army. Yeah. And absolutely. then at the end, at the end, if I've done that, I should either win or be good, you know, have a draw. I, yeah. I <laughs> hope know? I've got some of these. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> like, so you were actually, I saw, I said, it's, it was, it was interesting because it seemed like a really interesting way to try to capture, um, a scenario, try to do something unique with a scenario, but it ended up being so over complex that I, I think that nobody even tried to achieve the the scenarios. It was just kill your opponent the best you can uh, and see which you know, one you got. If, if I can just say, I, I got to say about that one particularly, and I, I love what you said about it so far, like all the, it's a finesse tournament, right? Like, because Mark makes the scenario so difficult and on top of it, the player plays terrain, which you've pointed out so well about, I hadn't thought about how much of a 
uh, of, a, of an impact it actually has on gameplay, especially if you play nature like I do and you can just put forests where you want and stuff like that. Um, right? But uh, yeah, that's, that scenario itself, uh, at first I thought it was too difficult, but in hindsight, I feel like it's almost genius. Maybe with a little bit of a twist, it could actually even be uh, a really, really good scenario. The one where you had to pick um, what your objectives were, and we all agreed that were maybe too, there were too many options, right? Which made which overcomplicated the scenario. But I really, I really liked it. Actually, in hindsight, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, there was a really interesting ideas in there. I like, I, I think what's what I liked about it is that there was a couple different techniques to winning the game. So you could hold terrain pieces to gain enough scoring points that that was that's genius i thought that was fantastic for some armies mm -hmm. so you could so you could go about and try to obtain control of the zones on the table by by being the closest one to them i thought that was unique and but the same thing is is that you could take that scenario and keep another player from getting it right so you could you can you could take a, a situation like kill the king or whatever that was in that scenario and and prevent that victory condition being their choice, right? So they wanted it, but you took it from them, right? So, so imagine that one was only the one, it, imagine there was only three options, right? One player has to, let's say, control the table pieces. One mm -hmm. player has to do dominate. And then the third one is something both can, let's say you got to kill the cheapest character or whatever one of the options was, whatever you want to pick, right? Yeah. I think that that might be like super interesting to play a game like that and then test that. Maybe having less options makes it. Amazing. I mean, if but I was to tweak that scenario, I would just remove the. I love the idea of having a pool of of objectives, some that only you can score that you pick, some that only your opponent can score that they pick in mutual. I would just have removed the if you score more, you get bonus points, or if you mm -hmm. score one at, that's the river one, you score more bonus points because that leads to the you're already winning like a win more sort of scenario. So does, I think yeah. the skeleton or the, 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 the idea the DNA of that scenario, like you said, Mike is really interesting in that mm -hmm. I'm picking scenario objectives that are easy for me, but maybe there's one that's super easy for you. So I'm going to take it so right. that I'm you gonna don't have it. Yeah. That I really, so I really like it. It's just the, some of the extra on top of that, of when you scored them or if you scored more, that to me is when it starts to get just too much to keep track of. Right. Uh, and I'll have to say, just and just to emphasize on that, each one of these scenarios had a secondary score structure or a chart within within the game or within that scenario. So so after you did all the scoring or you did all of that, then you had to go actually go back and look at that chart and see what your points came out to be. And that had to translate to something that you wrote onto the sheet. So, so not being as practiced into that, that seemed like an exercise for me. Like it, it was like, oh, geez, what's next here? <laughs> you know, what, what do I do? So not being prepared was a little bit of a challenge. And there really isn't a way to practice this. I mean, there's not a way to um, to go to this event knowing. I mean, just keep your, your pack and, and, and play past scenarios. You know what I mean? Yeah. Play scenarios yeah. that, I mean, there's some that make it from year to year. Um, and then some are new ones, but at least if you just practice the ones that are previous, hopefully that that's about yeah. as much as you can do, right? The scenario prep for a tournament like this. But, um, what about you, Kyle? Any, any sort of takeaways from your, your games that, you, that have stuck with you? I mean, it, it was interesting in that this first tournament I mentioned, uh, at the beginning of the, the talk, uh, Bayou Battles, 
I played Ryan Smith and Todd Serpico in in that tournament, and um, both are great guys. It was it was awesome to play against them, and it was fun to kind of you know go through that journey again of like oh these I played these two guys again in this tournament again in Texas, but it's been five six years since we since last time we played against each other. So it was cool seeing um, the differences in in their armies, and they're both they're both playing different armies. I'm playing a different army. Uh, different tournament but you know it was, it was still a good time playing against them you know when i played against ryan smith the first time he had that uh, ogre army that was in the side of the mountain yes it uh, was an awesome awesome display board horrible to play against because all of his models were on like three inch tall like mdf so they kept falling over the entire time and and then he pulls this army out and and I didn't know Ryan Smith made this army because I saw it on Facebook and it was the one it's a Trident Realm army where he has that um that clear uh, like lake or seaside area, and the models are set into the um, the waters. But so they're on another like three or four inch tall base. And I was like, oh no, we have a repeat of that. But he figured out his uh, his balance a lot better on those models, and there, were, there was no problem of things falling over or anything like that. So it was uh, it was great to see a, oh such a well paid army that Brian's obviously well known for. And then uh, I played Todd Serpico in the last round, and. and uh, He's always been super generous to me. We only played that one time, but you know, on these tournament matchups and stuff, he's he remembered me enough, and he's always said good things about my play style and stuff. So it was fun. It was fun to play against him. It was. I felt bad for him though, because it was one of those matches where, and everyone's had that. I've had it too, where no 50-50 result goes your way, and it just it was one of those matches where it was just like that. Anything that was fifty-fifty went my way ninety-nine percent of the time. Uh, so it was kind of a miserable last round to go through for him because because he couldn't get anything to to get going uh but it was still fun he was still very uh very fun to play against and talked and it was it was a good time all around um uh it just i i love going to tournaments kings of war is awesome place to go to tournaments too and i found that those type of games right the 50 50 that you just mentioned those are the games where this end score of the match could mean nothing It, it doesn't tell you a story at all about how the game went yeah. You know, when you have so many of those close roles and just none of them go your way. I think it's more fresh. Like, it's one thing to get blown out. And you're like, all right, you're just getting blown out. But when, like, it's it's close and just you can't catch a break to get, get the things you want to get going, it's just it, – it, it, that's the most frustrating game for me personally, so. Yeah. No, I totally understand. It's where it's just – it feels like you just can't – you just can't get anything working. Yeah, um, yeah. You're playing cards and you just can't ever get, get that last card to complete your hand no matter what you do. It's just like – uh, you might as well be trying to breathe under underwater. It feels like sometimes. Um, yeah, and, and it wasn't like it was. It was. It, it's not even misplays and stuff. It was just like, yeah, I just can't. The dice won't allow me to do what I'm supposed to do. Cool. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and on the other side, we're gonna do a quick hobby uh, update. See what everyone's working on hobby wise, and then we will get into our main topic of everything you need to know about going to tournaments. So we will be right back. I'm Ronnie from Magic Games, and you're listening to Counter Charge. Hey, this is Ash Barker from GMG, and you are listening to Countercharge. And we are back. So uh, I know one of the things Rob and I talked about last episode is going to a tournament always gets you jacked hobby-wise, right? You get really excited. Uh, Mike mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show uh, as far as looking at everyone's awesome armies. Uh, so what have you guys been up to hobby-wise? Let's start with you, Rashad. What have you been working on hobby-wise? Since Lone Wolf, I've been trying to finish my nature army because I hadn't finished it for Lone Wolf. And it's kind of like very disappointing to play with a tabletop ready army, but mostly tabletop ready. Actually, I had one on painted model. 
It was actually the first time this happened to me to go to a tournament without a fully painted army. But yeah, it was still nice. People gave me a lot of good pointers about where I'm going with it and what they liked about it. So that was great to get some feedback, actually. And um, yeah, I'm trying to finish, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I want to say I'm maybe 70% done. I'm working still on leaves for the basing. I'm still uh, trying to figure out a little bit of more uh, colors for like the cherry blossom leafing. I'm not completely done with those layers yet. But overall, it's been an absolute pleasure to paint nature. I mean, the models and you know, from the tree herder to the earth elementals to, you know, the birds that I have in there. It's been, you know, quite a pleasure to be painting something beautiful instead of like the bleak and dark undead that I was used to uh, for the past few years. But uh, yeah, that's that's been my thing. I'm maybe taking a little bit of a hobby break now because I'm going to go to Germany. I thought about taking my Blood Rage game with me. And just a couple of paints and painting the miniature game while I'm over there, kind of like as a palette cleanser before I come back. Blood Rage, um, that game's cool. Yeah, and the minis are really sweet. And, um, and painting gonna... board game minis is a great palette cleanser, like an in-between army project sort of thing, uh, because it's not as many models, it's quick. Board games with painted models are like freaking driving a Ferrari when you're playing a board game with painted models. Yeah, right. But like that that game I like because I can take it to my friend's house that let's say Pete, you know, they they play magic and stuff, but they don't want to get into Kings and I get to play this game with them and I, it takes me 20 minutes to explain it to them and they can win it the first time they play it because it's very easy to learn and, and play. So I like that about it. But the minis are awesome. I thought about at some point getting two of them. And that should give you enough for like a 1,500 points or maybe even 2,000 point Kings of War army if you wanted to build humans, barbarians with monsters and things like that. They would make a fantastic like Viking-themed army. It's very, 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 very cool models um, with, lots, with lots of variety too. What about you, Kyle? You're just continuing to work on the dwarves? Yeah, I, I need to finish. Uh, you know, most of the units are painted. I just had that one uh, bulwark unit I need to get painted uh but i was experimenting with the basing a little bit i have an idea already what i wanted to do but i had to finish it so i've been working on uh one unit uh, getting exactly what i need done for that and it should be all be good to go for masters excellent excellent it's always nice to uh cruise in the masters and not be painting <laughs> at the last yeah. minute yeah i'm so, like last um... masters through the middle of wrestling <laughs> season i was uh <laughs> many sleepless nights coaching wrestling and then like trying to update my Brazilian army on a short notice <laughs> while figuring out what you, army I want to take in the first place. <laughs> how about you, Jeremy? Have you figured out who's going to carry your army around in a cosplay dress? Or? No, unfortunately, no. Um, I will be taking the Basilians to Masters. Um, you know, I'm kind of... Uh, my one takeaway from Lone Wolf was that my style of Basilians is okay, but it's it's a, a three-and-two army or a four-and-two army uh, or four and, uh, a five-and-one army if everything absolutely goes your way. Like you talk about those 50-50s, if you have every single 50-50 go your way. But... Uh, just as an army, just my style of army, it's always frustrating, right, when you painted an army and then the army dynamics change and then your version of the army maybe doesn't play in the way that you want it to play. So I'm taking, I have a couple different lists I may take the Masters and 
in all honesty, I don't think anyone's that much better. Then it's not like there's one where I, if I add one or two units, it really changes the army, and now all of a sudden it's a barn burner. So I, I'm going to try to finish the Horde of Spears, take a list that has a Horde of Spears just so that I can finally finish the Horde of Spears. Um, but what I'm really excited about, um, you know, and, and which Mike has, has a, par, a part in sending me so many amazing uh, uh, models he had printed, which is really working on my Samurai project. Oh, talked yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I talked a little bit about it in the last episode. I have about four uh, of the models Mike sent me all primed, and I'm working on test color schemes. So I'm trying to figure out what color scheme I want to do. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that, which is even harder to make me paint my Vaseline army, which loses every time I play it against tough competition. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's hard to be motivated to finish that when I have, when I I have all these other awesome models and the idea of a new project and it's just really exciting, but I'm just trying to, as much as I can just at least finish the spear unit because I've put so much time into it. And I know that, it needs to be done before I fully go full hog on a new army or it will never be done. So basically that's what I'm trying to do. Finish up the spears. Um, and then looking forward to masters more as for the fun and hanging out with people and not so much on the, the tournament. I mean, you never know, but, uh, I'm not bringing a super hard list, uh, a little bit of a knife to a gunfight, but, uh, but it's okay. I, I part of it's expectation, so I I have a, a a clear expectation of what I think it will do and what issues it has. So I'm not. So I feel like uh, I'll be prepared for whatever outcome. Um, yeah, and you're not you're not the kind of guy that glues like you know I don't know four models into a base because he needs that extra regiment or horde of broken unit in the game, right? You take in whatever you got painted, and you're not really a painter that like. T- you you don't I've never seen you paint too many multiples right I've never seen you paint like four hordes of whites or something like that you know what I mean yeah so, it's just yeah, not I how totally I like to make you. armies so I'm, mm-hmm. but I am trying to after the Basilean project I am going to try to walk that line of how how can I have a competitive army that also is using all the models I like that looks great that's fun to play against and that that's also good because I think it's a lot of different variables you have there right of of the models you use, of it being uh, a hard list, meaning it's it's fine-tuned and it works well, but still trying to create a fun experience for your opponent so that if you do win, it's not in a frustrating way or in a way where your opponent feels they've had no a- agency. They just sit there and you just smoke them because I'm competitive and I want to win, but I want my the experience for my opponent to be in fun too. Yeah, it's not supposed to be a Sisyphus battle for them, right, where they nev- they could never win. From the get go, they look at it and they go like, "I can't." You got to have the social. You got to have a, a contract, and it's got to be like you guys are coming together to experience something as a team, almost. So it's and to me, if I make the game unfun for that person, that's maybe that person doesn't want to play anymore. And for tournaments to work, you need to have people of all skill levels and Is from that all. Why you stop playing else? Uh, well, I haven't stopped playing else. So I, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of running the samurai either as Kingdom of Men or Elves, and I'm leaning more towards Kingdoms of Men at this point because one, I can create like my whole like I have a whole idea storyline for what my empire would be, and, and Kingdoms of Men has a lot of cool choices, and the, the elf builds that I was working when they do work, they work in a way that's probably not super fun, like. Oh, I just I'm gonna triple mage you, and then I'm gonna do this, and then my pet, my the one yeah, time you and I played, I was just like, oh my god, 
<laughs> you shut up everything in one turn. Yeah, elemental flies over. You shoot it. Uh, you remember you put like seventeen wounds on an elemental and you rolled a double one, so I, <laughs> I was able to fly. And then that yeah. allowed him then to rear charge my horde of palace uh, guard and kill them in one shot. So I ended up losing so that gratifying. game. Only basically that double ones was like the worst, but. Um, Anyway, oh, so yeah, I'm, not, because... I'm not saying I'm not going to do elves. I don't know, but I, but it's just something I want to think about when I'm making my armies. How can I make the most competitive armies possible with the models that I love that is still good on the table, but is not just good. It's not going to be just an unfun experience for my opponent because they're fun. A lot of players will say my opponent's fun. I don't have any agency in that. And what does that mean to me? It's not my problem. It's not part of my my game to worry about if it's fun for my opponent and think that way that's fine you do use free country but for for me personally for the health of the hobby you should have your opponent's experience in mind when you're designing your list in my opinion what are you what about you mike what are you working on Ooh, well i've got i've got quite a few projects going on and that's kind of my thing i I like i like working on projects it's the other way around say what you're not working on yeah, it's it's, it's probably yeah, easier which to say armies what I'm have not working on. <laughs> yeah. So one of the the funner projects that I'm working on right now, um, I've I've been debating doing two trident armies. So I've got one already almost completed, and I've got a second one that I worked on uh, about over over a year ago that was an underwater themed trident. And so the block concept of the resin, I I just wasn't happy with and so i i um i tried a few experiments and i didn't like it and and both uh wade chang and i wayne wayne chang and i have been speaking about this for a couple of years now how we could make this water theme work and uh, i just never hit hit got the resonance i wanted from the results and um you know wayne was going to do a similar thing and, he, and it ended up in not you guys seen his trident army from bay of kings uh, a year back or so, and um, it was just a gorgeous Trident army, and uh, he's just he's got some vibrance in there. It's it's almost like a living fish tank, you know. <laughs> it was just like fantastic, and uh, so I, I was trying to do that, but you know, I, I played against Ryan Smith too, and he he'd done it right. He he's done something fantastic with his army with the with the blocks. Now because yeah, the resin's really clear on that. It was it's it's hard to get resin that that clear in that water like. It, it is, and and so I've been looking at a couple of different techniques for doing it because I'm 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 kind of picky on the resin. First of all, the weight of it has really been a deterrent for shipping it, like for a big event flying it. So this ar- this army would be something that I would just play, maybe high hop in the car when we go to Bay of Kings or wherever that ends up being at this next time, um, and I could use it as a non-flying t- uh, tournament army. Um, but but I really really have been looking at how I could make this work. Uh, one of them is how to pour the resin differently. A lot of, a lot of people are thinking, okay, so I'm going to put the resin and I put the model down on the, on whatever base, put plastic sides on it and pour the resin in. But I really think that this needs to be done in a different way because for me on the top of the resin, there's like a ring around the top and it's, it's sometime isn't flat and I, I really want it to be very cubed. I, I want it to be flat on the top and I want it to be a particular way. And so with, with that impression, either if I want to make a wave on the top, I want to, I want to control that. And um, so I figured I'm going to do it upside down. So that means I have to build like every single model I have to pour in there. I have to put in after I've already poured the resin 
and I have to make sure that nothing falls off, and then uh, and then it solidifies as a block, and then I can peel the the parts away so that that so all the corners are flush and perfect. Um, I just want to make sure that that's it looks exactly like a cube on the table. Um, so that's that's kind of where I stopped is when I when I was like, okay, I need to get the right resin for this. I, I've tried a few different resins and they didn't come out like I wanted. So you have to do that those tests first before you pour it in there. You, you're done with your models. Um, so that's one project that's on the side. Um, for some experiment games, I've been playing with Trident, and um, I I like Trident, but I found some so I found some after playing with some I found some weaknesses. So I ended up um, going a different route uh, for, for competitive games, but I, the army is probably about 50% um, ready to, to get to in painting. It's definitely probably playable, but um, it's, it's taken a pause to do the master stuff. Um, I also have a demon army that I'm working on that's actually not abyssals. I'm going to be using them as uh, Varanger. And uh, so I've made a couple of lists that I really like there. And um, so it's a, it's a more of a larger army so I'm, I'm using um a high unit strength style of play so we don't see that as much um uh, on tabletop but uh, it has something to do with maybe the amount of models that get used and have the need to be painted uh, for hordes and larger units um but um so but i've got one of those that's that's in the works um, um as you know i i I parted with my more my Rodeo project, uh, but that's that's fine. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, that was a, a great gift, and and I I'm really excited to see what Jeremy does with it, and um, that that's kind of like my heart's actually in it for you, you know, because because it's like I I've, I'm excited to see what you do with that. that yeah, well, project. I'm gonna circle back with you when it gets to resin because I want to do some koi ponds and stuff, so I'm yeah, definitely gonna sure. circle back with you. And I'll send you after that we're done uh, show. I'll send you some pictures of where I'm at with the color schemes. But yeah, I mean so, they're amazing. They're amazing models. I'm I'm super psyched. So with that with that koi pond talk, um, I've got a. <laughs> You know, we've always been next level. I, I think that's one of the things that we've talked about. So I'm actually building a water fountain, and I've got a water pump and LEDs that are going to be helping it. And so it's it's not a resin water. It's a real water fountain. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I have to make it so it doesn't leak, and I have to make it so that I can transport it. And so it's it's quite a challenge. I've got like a, a water that's pump. That's how we do the... <laughs> in, in the West Coast, best coast, is we put water, smoke effects, and real water fountains. and yeah. uh, Lighting effects. Yeah, well, so that's, that's, that's crazy. a little something I'm doing for my Order of the Green Lady. So um, uh, that's that has been an amazing, fun uh, Atlantean project. Um, it doesn't see the table as much as I used to, but I played the green lady for all of last year, all of 2020, 2021, pretty much the UB tournaments and, um, through the league. So I have a lot of, I had a lot of games, uh, under my belt with her, the green lady. Um, so I almost took them with me to, to lone wolf and I should have, <laughs> you know, because I, I knew that better. Uh, and I was a little bit more prepared uh, to use that kind of elite, more elite style of play uh, in that event. Um, but as you know, I really worked pretty hard on my goblins. Um, one of the things that came out in a recent, you know, we were talking about Bay of Kings probably in our last one, and and my, my goblins um, hadn't been really worked on much. And that, that was really a fast army I put together, but really oh, I did put some heart into it, but it didn't, um, it didn't scratch all of the, 
uh, it was it was like what we call like a speed paint project or or a speed done project. So I actually took most of the whole army apart and rebuilt it uh, because I think when when we, when first looking at it, it was like yeah, this might not be the quality of 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 a, a solidly painted army. And so I was like, well, I don't want that. I didn't want that image. I wanted I wanted an image where where the army looked um, like it was done with the impression that it was done, not just for quickly for an event. And um, so I literally pulled all of the, all the goblins off. Um, I built several new goblin units and um, I completely built the, um, for, for lone wolf, I completely built the, um, the mincer mobs. And, and then a lot of them look like the mincer mobs from, from actual mixture mods, but I actually created some of them to match the mincer mobs. So they weren't actually, the ones like I built them, and so uh, I put a lot of. Um, I and I, I can't. I, mean, I everybody puts a lot of heart into their army, so I'm not trying to. But but I do feel like this army really um, was a fun project to explore with the winter effects and uh, that, that I really and uh, I'll put on the table and and goblins. You don't see a lot. I didn't see very many at that event, um, but um, that that was one of the projects I really enjoyed doing recently. Uh, so I have uh, two other projects I'm working on. Uh, one is the Abyssal Dwarves, which I, I'm sure Kyle has seen as well as Rashad. Uh, they, that's um, got the, got the, the the lava theme going with it, uh, so it's different than my uh, Forces of the Abyss, which is that um, that um, graphic uh, video game impression of. of um, what would you call that? Like uh, Tron comes to Fantasy World, so that so the models are three three dimensional representations on a digital world. I guess that was kind of what I was going with with uh, my abyssals. But this is actually more of a lava theme, and um, so th- this has got a little different um, touch to it because I'm I'm using some some airbrush techniques that that um, I'm really fascinated with, and it's really pushing my my painting um, qualities and effort. So that that's uh, a real effort for me, and so I've also created a couple new resin prints, and um, recently for my master's army, and I'm I'm actually using some um, some artisan designs models, which are uh, from like an underworld model, and trying to use a similar kind of uh, paint technique with airbrushing, and um, so there's some really great airbrush painters out there so i've been studying and trying to to bring up my level um so and, and it starts off with things like what to base paint with like what how are you going to base paint a lot of people will use excuse me like the gw primer or something like that and um, start doing the hand painting on the base colors and then do the layering but uh, some of the techniques that i'm that i'm learning out here is is the um finding the right paint uh, to to base something with, and once you've got that, you can use shading techniques. Like you can you can use an airbrush white over the top, over a black, and you can get kind of depth out of your model. And then you can start adding more colors. Um, and there's different types of techniques of colors. There's there's more fluid oriented ones for layering and uh, and blending. And as you get as you get more techniques down, you can start getting these pretty fantastic color combinations and i'm just baffled with why i hadn't started something like this sooner and uh and it's just i'm just enjoying it i mean it's just the hobby part of it is just why i do this at this point i'm i mean i've i've got probably almost every army (laughs) and and i 
every one of them is a little piece in my heart, right? And and how I would want want that to be seen on the table. So so yeah, I've got a lot of projects, and including a whole new Empire of Dust army uh, that I've got going. So interesting, very yeah. cool. And I and I know we haven't heard from Scott lately. We did I did see the pictures of his new game room, so I can't wait to see what what evil what uh what oh, machinations. I know you know. I can't wait to see. Uh, I know what he, Scott's doing when he yep. drops the three pointer bomb or whatever. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen for anything from me lately. Here's the army that I've created. Yeah, oh, you know. I think I'm a little more open about what I'm doing. Uh, yes. but, but Scott, when he lets it out, it's like wow. Yeah, yeah. it's it's cool. it, and yeah. So I, I'm lucky that I get to help him on it. So that that's cool. So um, and yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Just say that. Cool. Okay, well, we're going to take another break. And when we get back into our main topic, we're going to go over everything tournaments. So we'll be right back. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. And I hope you're about to apply a second thin coat just there whilst you're listening to Counter Charge. Hi, this is Eric Trowbridge, 2020 U.S. Master, and you're listening to Counter Charge. And we are back. So now we're going to talk a little bit about tournaments. Um, one thing we've talked about on the show, we've covered it, I think, enough to, 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 to know or, or why we think you should go to tournaments. So we're not going to really go back over why we love tournaments. This is more of like you, you, you've bought into the Kool-Aid that we've been selling you guys of, of wanting to go to a tournament. So it's like, now what do I do? Um, and I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think one of the first things is, re- is trying to think about what type of tournament you want to go to. Uh, I mean, we just had Lone Wolf, right? That's a super competitive tournament. There's there's doubles events. There's team events. There's events more focused on hobby, right? Um, is that something that you think is good to think about? Sort of when you're when you're picking a tournament to go to, is what type of tournament you want to go to? From from the scale of of tournaments, I think you've got three different types. You've you've got a a local event that, or maybe a garage event, some just a simple local group of guys that want to get together and put put something good together and you wanted to experience uh, um, a local community growth uh, that's probably your your simplest and easiest ones to to join uh, from from that standpoint it can be easily handled and run uh, and even those could could earn um, I would think some kind of a um, a circuit points if if done well. Um, another another type of event is kind of our medium scale event. Um, we don't we don't really have a title for this uh, this structure. A, a lot of other big um, bigger games uh, it, it systems have a, a type of tournament structure. Let's just call it a medium scale event. I think um, those are going to be probably somewhere between maybe twenty and forty players. Uh, I guess maybe a little less, maybe thirty six, and that that would be one of those events where you're starting to really get a, a grasp of what the community of maybe um, Southern California or maybe um, uh, maybe um, Tampa or maybe Dallas or something like that. And the, you know, it's, it's your your local community, probably within 50 miles, um, coming together for an event, maybe one day or a two day event even. And uh, so the 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 larger scale events, these grand events, and um, these grand tournaments are going to be some of the biggest events you're going to probably participate in. Uh, and some tournaments, there as, as some types of game systems, which a lot of our our new players already know because they're coming from other these systems, is the these you know 
600, five, you know, 1200 scale level games. Um, we, we don't have that yet, but we're, we're definitely headed that direction. And um, so, I mean, I think what, what people can look for going into is if you want to attend these, these larger events, which we don't have many that are non-invitationals, but, but that's going to be happening soon, I'm sure. And, but, but like, if you want to attend masters, you, you probably want to start looking at your stepping stones and, and uh, talk to your, um, your local tournament managers, your TOs and find out uh, where you could go. So that might be like the first, first questions. Um, and there's no reason why people couldn't run like uh, some local communities start creating their own events and um, and I and I think that there's a place for a circuit like a competitive circuit for for something like this but um, but yeah so I think this I think it starts off with something simpler as as just uh, playing in your in, in your local community um, like Kyle uh, he's got an, a, a local community type of event that he's brewing um, R- Rashad's got a medium scale event that he's brewing and um so these are just like in the socal area where we could probably get most of our west coast guys to come out and you'll probably meet most of the west coast people get a chance to play against uh some of the more um masters level players and expand and and compete and and i think that's uh, one of the bigger bragging right advantages for for kings of war yeah, I mean, the geography thing does make sense, right? You know, that if you're just starting out on tournaments that you would kind of put your toes in the pool, right, in local events. And then if you get into it, sort of kind of identify, you know, do you do you want to compete in Masters? And then to, to qualify for Masters, you have to go to specific tournaments. But I think e- even as we get into sort of the size, right, you kind of lay it out well, Mike, which is sort of the small to medium to big. I think even some of those tournaments sort of have a vibe. Like I know Alamo, right, Ryan Smith's tournament, uh, he's one of the better paint judges, in the country and that event is sort of known as being like a really good hobby event so i think we even see in some of this uh, size uh that the tournament itself can sometimes take on a little bit of a mystique around a certain aspect of the game um you know the blue city brawlers and even and jeff has his living legends tournament right doubles tournaments can be really fun where you play with a with a partner right and those tend to be a little bit more casual and and have fun sort of type events so if that's sort of when we talk about the tribe the the triangle of the game where you have the hobby side the sportsman side and the competitive side that there is space within the tournament scene to find something that's a little bit more focused towards which aspect of the game you love the most i mean i think of a tournament as like each one is an oasis to get away to and each one has its own flavor and you know you and i talk about this a lot like oh what are we going to do next year and it's because we've been to a few tournaments already, right? But there's always something new on the horizon. And uh, yeah, like I can't wait to do Blue City Brawl. We were just talking about it earlier with the Titans. I would like to go to Adepticon. And every tournament's got like something special to offer. Like Mark's tournament has all these crazy scenarios and it makes you really think. And um, Yeah, I think it's right? good sometimes in the beginning of the year to sit down and be like, if you really do want to start getting in the tournaments is like, what is your schedule for the year? You know, which are the events you're going to try to go to when I'm thinking about which events I want to go to. I try to think about like, what's, what's the hobby event that I want to go to, or what's the more convention style event, or what's going to be the really hard competitive event, or what's going to be the fun, just hangout weekend event where I'm thinking about these events sort of within their sort of criteria of like, what is that event? Do, what does that event do really well? 
Is that something that you kind of keep in? I, I, I know sometimes your schedule is a little bit more crazy, Kyle, but when you're thinking about tournaments, do you th- are you thinking about them at all? Like this is going to be my competitive one or I really want to go to this one because I love the people near there or, or do you just try to get to events when you can or do you try to come up with like a yearly plan for tournaments? Well, a big thing for me is I kind of um, – I've been really lucky in that uh, Dallas is a hotbed for Kings of War tournaments. You know, they have the – you have Lone Wolf obviously. You have Samurai now. Uh, is there a third tournament that's been talked about? I'm not really sure, but it's it's been easy for me to fly there because I have um, three of my really good friends who I got into gaming with and used to live here in SoCal have moved there now. So I ha- it's not just I have a place to stay, but it's I get to spend a week with my friends as well. One one of them plays Kings of War. The other two have played Kings of War before, but you know it's it's uh, they're more of a RPG uh, kind of people. And I just had I get to have a great weekend hanging out with my friends. I don't get to see that often anymore. I used to see almost every week and I get to play Kings of War. So I think that's for me at this point, it's more about there's certain tournaments I want to go to just to say I've been to that tournament. I want to go to Adepticon. I want to go to TNT, uh, Lady of the Lake is when I've, I've talked about there's a couple other tournaments. It's like one time I'm going to go. I'm going to go there just just to go there. But the other tournaments I go to regularly, it's it's more of um, either a Dallas Dallas terms easy for me because again my friends or the sad crew gonna go or if somebody is you know one of the guys I'm teaching the game does he want to go tournament that's more my my flow now I don't care too much about how competitive it is because there will always be good players at these tournaments now it's it seems like the community itself has moved to a point where evolved it's grown yeah. up some right it's yeah yeah exactly there's definitely strong stronger and and weaker regions as far as overall you know players but the top four in any region are going to be good players. It's, it's you're not going to exactly. have a you're not going to run into a region when you can just walk around in the kids pool. There's going to be good players at every tournament you go to pretty much. Unless some it's a really the, local small one day tournament. Some regions maybe have that depth right where that skill yeah. goes down to whatever, but you still get the same top 5 guys in any region. Yeah. And any one of those people on any given day could beat anyone else. You know, maybe one of those people wins more than they lose more often, but on any given Sunday, right? You could yep you could win or lose based on those people. But I think you bring up a really good point, which is when you're thinking about traveling to tournaments or you're thinking about getting in the tournaments, if you have someone who lived that you can stay with or who could pick you up from the airport or even someone you can go visit, if you're going to in a tournament or also can be, maybe there's some, a museum or something you want to see or a, a nature or whatever. If you can turn the tournament weekend into not just the tournament, but something else too, you can really make it into I'm going on this awesome kick-ass vacation and I'm also going to be playing a tournament while I'm there. I think that's been something fun for me too. Yeah, one thing to go to go back on that is is we talk a lot about the social aspect and, and we've been spoiled in the fact that we've all been playing tournaments for a while and we, we have a lot of friends and people we know that we can hang out with. You know, as soon as the tournament's done, let's get a beer. Let's go get food. It's, it's super easy. But for, for the people who... Who are new to tournaments, or maybe this is the first time going to Kings of War tournament? Don't be afraid to ask around. I, it's I've been plenty of tournaments when I first started going, and people going, "Oh, hey, like we played the second round. Do you want to join us and we'll go eat or get you a beer at the bar or something like that?" You know, don't be afraid to talk to the TO ahead of time and say, "Hey, I don't know anybody here. Let me know if there's anything going on and want to join the festivities." Any any kind of personality will work. You know, just let people know, and and it's been people are super helpful and super open. Um, at the same time, you know, people will, people will leave you alone. They're not going to force you to do anything. So if you're not into that kind of thing and don't worry about 
getting hamstrung into it. But at the same time, you know, speak up for yourself a little bit, pull one person aside and say, hey, yada, 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 what are you guys doing? I need something to do while I'm at this tournament. You'll get hooked up 100%. Yeah, you you, you bring up a really good point, right, which is uh, talking to the TO or, you know, uh, some people may think, okay, I've decided I want to go to a tournament. Where do I even find the tournaments? And that's one thing I think the Kings of War community has pretty good is most of the Masters regions, and this is not even if you want to do Masters, but just those regions sort of all have their own Facebook group sort of hubs. So you can go join, like for us, we have a U.S. West Coast group. Um, and you can join our group and we've had lots of players who would be like, Hey guys, I'm interested in going to a tournament. I live in Santa Monica or I live in San Francisco or whatever. And just introduce yourself. You know, that's really a good first step. If you want to start going to tournaments or, 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 or get involved in your scene is find the local Facebook group for your region and just introduce yourself. And say, hey, I'm. I know we get tagged in groups all the time where someone would say, hey, I live in Southern California. I'm looking to play Kings of War. What do I do? And it's like you should talk to Kyle, or you should talk to Rashad, or Mike, or go to Scott's house, or whatever. So I think that's a good place to start. Right when you're looking for tournaments, is just uh, get connected with whoever happens to be playing in your local area, and it, that's a good at least first step into kind of getting connected with who's running what where. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, Kings of War Fanatics is a great pl- uh, place to ask. I'm always lurking on the Kings of War Reddit page, which has really had a huge traffic increase the past year. So there's always places to go to find people and, and get hooked up with the community. And I know Brian Brodier had his KOWtournaments.com, which was a great website. And I know Brian's been kind of doing other things, but I, I, I'm thinking that you know that site will get passed to someone or are still updating it that's a great website it's just kowtournaments.com and it has a calendar on there which shows you all the the tournaments that are coming up so definitely check that out too and um i mean we all love tournaments so i think we want other people to go to tournaments so if you if you reach out to the more veteran players in your area they're going to take you under their wing i know you have your uh your dungeon of doom uh, Kyle, that I'm ready for the Hell in the Cell match between you and Destin's <laughs> disciples, uh, <laughs> with Rashad as a special guest referee. So, yeah, and it's going to turn out where you're going to think that he's on your side, but then he's going to super kick you at the end, <laughs> and he's oh, yeah. going to join Dojo. If, um, if Rashad doesn't backstab me, I'll consider it a, a, a slight uh-huh. in my honor, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. And I gotta, I gotta have my uh, my uh, uh, Karate Kid headband, and I want to be doing color, so I need to be doing. Oh! my god he's dead he's dead the the question Uh, is who comes in for the save at the end though i get backstabbed who's coming in for the save that's the question i don't know (laughs) Uh, you have to keep that secret so you don't you you tune in uh and see what happens scott comes in in a a mech iron man suit that he 3d printed with real working (laughs) hydraulics and he flies in and saves you um but i think the point is reach out to the veteran players in your area or uh, get on facebook find your groups um uh, we, we're a scene that works together and that we help people and uh, don't let the fear of not knowing anyone. I think Kyle is what you're trying to say, right? Don't let the fear of not knowing anyone get in the way because we've all went to a tournament where we didn't know anyone at some point. All of us go through that initial kind of uncomfortableness of not knowing anyone. Okay. So now let's say we've done that, right? We've, we've, we've figured out, okay, I want to go to this tournament. 
I know uh, this is what I want to do. You've picked out the tournament. Um, what do you guys think is sort of next on that line? I know Jeff Jeff has a funny thing where he says here, he says, read the posted event info or just constantly spam the TO with questions that are answered on the info page. <laughs> Preference? I mean, I think we've all run into that, right, where people are like, you know, when are lists due? Um, is there a certain uh, criteria to how you make their list? Is there painting rubrics? But to me, I always come back to the pack, right? Every tournament should have a tournament pack, which really tells you all the important dates, the important rules, the hotel information if you're traveling, etc. Um, but I think that's probably a good place to start, right? Once you're signed up for the tournament, is just to make sure you've really read the tournament pack through. For sure, and you know, most TOs actually—that's one—that's what they complain about is that not enough players read the pack because they ask questions that are in the pack constantly, and it's very, very annoying. But also, just in order to be prepared. It's really good, like Mike said earlier, know if it's going to be dot deployment or if it's going to be player place deployment or if it's going to be placed by the TOs, right? That's really important. Um, You know, know obviously like what units are allowed and what are not. And, you know, all of these little details, it's going to be important for your army composition and it's going to make you be able to prep for what you need to have painted in time. Yeah, I try to look, when I'm first getting determined, I try to look at the pack, and the first thing I want to see are what are the the hard deadlines. You know, when is are the lists due? Are the lists due ahead of time? You know, uh, what's the logistical information? Do I got to book my hotel room? Or are they going to sell out? Or are usually that's where I try to start first when I've signed up for event is what are the hard dates? Because when it comes to traveling. That's really important. I always stand by the sort of of idea of when you're traveling to an event, book early, get all your logistics done early so that when you get closer to the event, the only thing you're having to to work on is is, uh, play test games or painting. You're not having to work about logistics. Um, And that brings an interesting question. You know, Mark Cox asks or or says, uh, go to the tournament a day early and stay a day after. And he says, that's not a question, it's just a rule. So, I mean, do you guys do that? I, 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 do you guys think about that when you're traveling to a tournament of trying to bookend a little bit so you're not in such a, a rush? I think that's always a thing when you're going to a first tournament is everything feels so fast-paced. I really like the idea of going a little early if you can and leaving the day after. It just frees you up a little bit. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on like bookending the tournament and giving yourself a little bit more time? Yeah, for a two-day tournament, I'm I'm always I want to leave on a Friday, and fly back or drive back on a Monday if if possible. It makes it makes the weekend much easier too because you don't have to. It's not so much the term itself that gets rushed, but everything around it. You know, you take your time getting there, take your time getting back. When you get home, you have time to relax and wash your clothes and and get ready instead of, uh, crap, I have to get ready for work and and deal with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, honestly, man, sometimes I think I have three days to it. You know. Go explore the city, have an extra day, make it a vacation. I think that's the best part. If you're going to a travel tournament, if it's a local thing, you know, it's fine. You know, if, 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 we, if I'm going to a tournament in San Diego, I'm fine going on a Friday and coming back on a Monday. But that extra day before and after gives you like that chance to hang out with the people when you're not trying to like play five games over two days, right? So that's really what it is. You get that extra like hangout time with the people that you like and also getting to know time, right? Friday night is usually where everybody meets in the hall. Most tournaments are like that. Or, uh, um, you know, sometimes people have dinner together, and I think that's really important. Every time I go to Lone Wolf, 
usually I go in Thursday or Friday and I leave on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I think what Mike said earlier about doing some country line dancing or whatever, I think these tournaments are a great opportunity to eat local food or to go to a museum or, or really enjoy some of the local atmosphere of wherever yeah. you're going. And it's sort of like an, a really cool thing about traveling around the tournaments is that you go have amazing food. And, and usually the people hosting the tournament are always so happy to have you there that they're willing to recommend Oh, go to this restaurant or make sure you guys check out this or, you know, that's, they're really happy when people travel for their tournament, whether it's driving or flying or whatever. So I think having a little bit of extra time helps you sort of really uh, utilize that. And then you can, like Mike and I did this at Lone Wolf, you can bring along a, your, your, your significant other, right? And, and really make a fun trip out of it. For yeah, sure. I, that, I, I definitely think that's one of the one of the great things we, you know, throughout the years, um, the South, uh, or the South, the, the West coast side has, we've had, you know, the West coast GT and a, a couple other, um, types of bigger events. And, and we've had another event in Las Vegas, for example. Um, uh, so that just gave all kinds of options for people to, as far as, um, exploring what, what else you could do when you, when you go to event. So I think that might be another exciting opportunity is get with the TO and find out what, uh, what kind of exciting things that, that are going to be offered in that community. Obviously over the last year, it's been a little bit more challenged with things closed. Museums probably haven't been as much to open if that's your thing. Uh, but you know, there's, there's pubs and, uh, locals like in uh, San Antonio. I know that area already. So again, uh, going back to Texas is easy for me. <laughs> uh, but, but like San Antonio, you've got the the um, the Riverwalk going out there, getting involved in that is a is a great thing. Uh, there's there's all kinds of things off around San Antonio, for example, um, and being a, a historic town, there's there's quite a lot to see there as well as the you know and um, Scott and I went and hung out and all over. We walked all over downtown, uh, for example, and and I took him to to go see the Alamo and. Uh, that was that was really fun. Uh, so there's a there's all kinds of options when it comes to um, to going to events. Now at, on the other side of of this, um, I I I would say there's some there's some great things that are happening in Kings of War right now. Uh, there's uh, there's an understanding that we, from uh, the reopening of of um, tabletop gaming, so to speak, and in-person gaming, we're seeing a growth across the industry all over. And if we take a look at um, uh, just just the new incoming, you know, and Facebook is is a tool that we have uh, to uh, to communicate as a community. As a community, this is one tool that we could use, uh, Facebook. Uh, but, but we know that uh, the whole gaming tabletop community uh, is not a bunch of new players that are first time necessarily coming to their first game in Kings of War. In a lot of cases, they're cross gaming, right? So they're leaving a game that's that's slowly um, expiring and coming to something else that that they want to be a part of a new community. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I've met I mean, in in South County, we've I've met a re- bunch of recent uh, of Kyle's local community, and those guys are all gamers of several different games uh, and they're coming into our game and, and of course they're bringing knowledge from other games with them so let's take um that star wars game with with the uh, you've got war machine legion. players the, yeah that legion game yeah. you've you've got um 
you've got players that used to play War Machine and Hordes that are now coming that are looking at Mantic because because they want to use their models, right? Because they've got a garage full of models that they've, <laughs> you know, those cat that I put my dwarves back in the corner and hey, I want to play with them again. This is an opportunity. Uh, so so right now there's a there's a huge growth in our community and and these people aren't new players to gaming. And so they're they're bringing their experience with them and looking at how does that match with ours. And and so um, there are other tools out there. Kyle had mentioned Reddit, and I, I'm looking at Discord. I'm looking at uh, obviously we're we're um, trying to communicate the best we we can in the community. But I think that there's something that we could do even better. And um, I, I I think a really great idea would be to uh, have a website that um, that would really represent the nation and um so i think that's kind of something that's kind of in the works that that uh and i mean uh, brian broder's site the kow tournaments when it was updated all the time was like a really valuable tool for that but it just it's one of those things right that's when it's community driven if someone has stuff that happens in their life you know and they get busy or whatever right uh, yeah but i think seeing the to in many way the to it can the great to's are not only the ones that organize their events well, but they're the great concierge, or they're the great ambassador of their area, where they're not only running the tournament, but they're helping suggest where you should go to eat, they're helping you find a roommate if you need a roommate, or they're helping you guide you to, oh, this group's going to eat over there, or whatever. So I don't know, That's always I've always felt that like the great TOs are the well-organized ones, but it's also the ones who are good at like helping build those relationships between their players. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot of tournament organizers I know that have like, Hey, we're after the tournament we're doing, it's in the tournament pack. We're going to go here and eat. Let me know ahead of time. Or they'll have a lunch set up ahead of time. We're, we're ordering from this place. Let me know what you want. We'll, we'll order it. So there's, there's often a lot of uh, integrated stuff to tournaments uh, these days. It's easy to, to jump in. You don't even ask. You just say, yeah, here's 20 bucks. Let's totally. go. Totally. And we've done that right at, at Bay of Kings, where we try to and, and our smaller or mid-size events, right? That sweet spot yeah. of the the fifteen to twenty-five person events, where they're small enough that you can do that. Where you can do like, okay, the Saturday night we're all going to go out to dinner. Here's the restaurant, you know. So it kind of uh, uh, cuts a little bit into that unease of trying to get to know new people. Um, yeah, I remember, remember we swarmed that breakfast place that Sunday morning, and then like there's no way we can handle all of you. Like, all right, uh, <laughs> we had a quick uh, rechange. Let's go to. Uh, we ended up at a Panera Bread, I think. Yes. They weren't, they weren't ready for us either, but we, we got fed in at least. That was funny. <laughs> okay, so we, we figured out our tournament that we want to go to. We've read the pack, so we've made sure that we've turned in everything we needed to turn in. We've done everything that we needed to did. We booked early, right? So we got our – we know when we're driving. We got our uh, plane ticket if we need a plane ticket. Um, you know, uh, Donnie asks a really interesting question. He says – What's the one game changer item that you bring that most people would not think of, right? Because we think of, okay, we need our army, we need our tape measures, we need our dice, uh, we need our masks, right, or whatever COVID sort of materials we need. Um, what are you some things that you guys have, have sort of learned by a tournament when you're like, oh, I wish I had this, and you don't have it, so the next year you bring it? Um, what do you think? Let's start with you, Kyle. Is there anything that you bring to a tournament that you think you, you just like can't imagine not having? Yeah, for me, a, a big thing is uh, a good laser pointer. And uh, I was able to buy, which I think now be, might be slightly illegal laser pointers. Uh, they're green lasers. Um, 
and they work great because they cover the whole table. Sometimes you get like the war game specific, uh, specific ones, and they're like a dim red laser that barely goes 12 inches, and you kind of need a laser for longer line of sight checks than that. Uh, so finding finding a good solid bright laser line is really useful. But uh, one thing I got is actually uh, one of the online tournaments. I think it might have been Bug Eater. I won in a raffle. Was um, it's on WarChestCreations.com and it's the ultimate widget set, and it's awesome. Uh, it comes with um, it comes in like two layers of MDF. One layer is tokens, and it gives you uh, a one through seven uh, for checking uh, the game. You can also use it as a tokens as well. Flip them on the other side. Gives you a weakness and bane chant tokens. Uh, but the biggest thing, what I normally use is uh, the two inch to twelve inch sticks. And what I liked about it was it's in a really convenient uh, spot. It reminded me a lot of anybody that ever played X-Wing before. Uh, it's very similar to those X-Wing um, uh, tracks that the, the, the range rulers use for X-Wing. It's, it's just for the game, but it, you know one, two, three for turns and, and stuff like that. But it's really common in X-Wing to have acrylic sets uh, that are set into like an MDF or an acrylic uh, board. You just pop them out when you need them. And it makes measuring stuff uh, that's important so much easier. Uh, and really, it. I'm all, my biggest thing with playing Kings of War, especially in tournaments, is I want there to be no surprises, and I want there to be no after after game things like, oh, that that was kind of a shady move, or I don't really know that you know it was kind of, it, something was bumped. And and these sticks is one of those things that just takes takes that guesswork out of it. Are you within four inches? Sometimes that ruler just doesn't fit right, so you just pop out the four inch stick and go, okay, it's touching or not, we're good from here. I'm a big fan of that. You like to pop out that four-inch stick. Uh, oh, yeah. is used to, right? <laughs> very familiar with four inches. That's why he plays dwarves, because he has that <laughs> four-inch eye marker. Like He knows exactly like, if he's within charge range or not. It's made by God. You know, but, the people not knowing Kyle must think I'm a total asshole. You know, he's like six foot eight. You know, somewhere and it took it out of that spot, all right? He's like, hand, <laughs> put my whole face in his hand, you know, it's like on his giant hand. Yeah. Kyle's like a linebacker, so <laughs> please. I was a defensive lineman, linebacker. Oh, you know. god, oh, right. His penis, right. His penis well, is proportional to height, he's golden. Yeah, <laughs> it's not what I like. I'm gonna go cry real quick. Oh, I'll give you a hug. What I like what you said, right, is the widgets are important, but what you got to think about too, right, is how a tournament you're moving quick, right? You're moving from table to table. So if you can have a thing that also serves as like a way to hold all your stuff, that makes moving from tournament or from table to table easier when you have a spot to put all your, your, your doodads. Yeah, for um, sure. What about you, Rashad? Is there anything that you bring to a tournament? Um, that's maybe a little out of the ordinary that you found has been really useful to you? So, you know, laser pointers new to me, and I really like that Kyle mentioned that because those are uh, not so much um, getting rid of disputes, but just to make sure you have line of sight, just to make sure you are an arc. That's what that's for mostly, right? And it makes your yeah. and real game quick, cleaner. Is... You play cleaner when you have it, um, I found. Um, I like the measuring sticks a lot. Um, I just have a 12 inch and a 20 or an 18 inch. That's enough for me because it's like sort of like I need to either figure out am I 12 inches away or 10 or do I need to am I 60 within 16 or 18 or 20? Like that's the two things that I need. Tape measure is very obvious. Snacks, 
I think you need to have some healthy snacks by the table because usually, you know, we have a really bad habit of doing at tournaments to like just go eat crappy food because we don't have much time in between the scenarios, right? It happens all the time, right? We pizza and whatnot. So I think it's good to have like a banana in the morning if you can't make it to breakfast or things like that, right? I, bring, I even bring my own tea. Um, what else? Be prepped for like, you know, being able to travel in between um, the tables in between rounds easily. I think that's one thing. Sometimes I see people struggle with that. They didn't bring a display board that accommodated them moving their army around and things could fall around. I think that's something to think about as like a general tool. Um, chess box, super important because at some tournaments you need it. Sometimes to protect yourself, sometimes because other players are so players, but sometimes also because you want to keep yourself on the, you know, on your toes and, and be fast. I think so. Yeah, I'd say those are the items that I would bring. One thing I'll say just to to follow up with the laser pointers up and just something you can prep before a tournament is uh, measure out your bases and find out where the exact center is for leader point and put a mark of some kind there, whether it's on the actual basing material or I just put a white line against a black background on my edge there. So it's really easy to measure line of sight. Uh, you don't you don't have to figure out where the exact center is. You just see that line and measure off from there. And it's so funny what you guys yeah. are saying are like things that, of course, you'll have a laser pointer. So there, there are things that I didn't even think about that have just become that become part of playing a clean game and in tournaments. That's really one of the first things you learn, right? Is how to play a clean game. So arc, line of sight, laser pointers, all that stuff just becomes just a natural part of your game. You forget to even like bring it up as a thing that someone may not know that they should bring. You know what I mean? Because it becomes such a part of your uh, arsenal of tools. Totally. And thinking about that, actually, here, quick nerf check. Five. Uh, guys, so I learned in my last tournament that you should bring dice that are easy to read for your opponent. I had a new set of pink dice with gray pips, and I realized that some of my opponents like to actually look at me when I'm taking stuff out of dice. Sometimes it's good because I make mistakes, right? And I think um, it's good to have dice that are clear to read for your opponent, just like as a courtesy, because you both have to check on that, right? And actually, I had to retire that dice set after the game because I had brought two sets. I had brought a really nice, nice bright green and a pink that fit into my cherry blossom theme of the army. But the pinks just were hard to read, even for myself. So I was like, yeah, that's one thing that you shouldn't overlook. And it's one of those things too. Dice etiquette is like a whole nother thing, which is it, 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 as you start playing in tournaments, right? You're playing against people that you maybe you never met them, um, you know, or you don't know. So I think stuff like that becomes even more important. So like having clear dice, uh, removing the failures uh, first. So then that way you're leaving the successes alone. So then that way, if you mess up or your opponent can help you say, oh, use one more three or whatever the case is. And then I know for me, being someone not as vertically blessed as Kyle, people who roll in uh, dice trays is really tough for me because I physically can't see into your dice tray. I'm not tall enough. So I've played against people who roll in the dice tray and they start removing stuff out of the dice tray. And it's like, I, I, for me to look, I have to stand on a chair to like see them. So for me, I'm not a huge dice tray guy for that various reason, which is I understand that you're trying to do it. 
I get the reason of why you do it, right? You keep all your dice together, it's clean and whatever. But just keep that in mind if you're a big dice tray fan that all your opponents... And it's not like I want to watch your dice because I think you're cheating. It's more of just to help, you know? Just to make sure we can speed up the game and you don't, I, you don't make mistakes or whatever. But... That's my only pet peeve when it comes to dice trays is I just physically can't see into them. It's difficult, but I don't know if it's necessary either. I think it's just like if you have the right dice, roll them on a space on the table where it's, you can read it mm-hmm. and make sure that you're not using the same dice for wound counters. So that, And also, for example, one thing I've heard a lot people complain about is dice, casino dice that are too big because when you roll them and they hit certain models, they can you know chip the paint and stuff like that. So like I feel like 12 millimeter or 10 millimeter dice are like kind of where it's at. I know Jeff Swan likes to roll with the mini dice. I think they're five or six millimeter. It's all cool as long as like they're easy to read for your opponent. They're not like, you know, weight in a weird way, obviously. like I like to use the casino dice as my wound dice because they're sure. big and easy to read and they're so different from my rolling dice. So right, that right. it's really easy to say, oh no, that's my wound damage or whatever. Um, and they're harder to hit, hit over too. That's one thing. If you're using... The same dice for your wounds as you are for rolling. There's a potential for pickup or any of that. So having they just get very hit. different ways, yeah. Mm-hmm. One yeah, thing I knocked over, yeah, that's yeah. true. One thing I found, and I think uh, uh, it's interesting uh, from Lone Wolf because everyone was wearing masks and stuff like that. And thankfully, you know, last time I heard, we'd had no one getting sick. Is in the past, I always would bring tons of emergency and vitamins to avoid. Like my sister does cosplay, and she goes to a lot of comic conventions, and she calls it con crud, right? Where more often than not, it's easy to get sick at a convention, like the flu or a cold or whatever. So I always like to bring like emergency packets or Advil or Tylenol, or have I have a little medical kit that has band-aids, um, my migraine medication, because I get migraine sometimes, just a little thing in my backpack. And I always like to bring a backpack to a tournament. So that has my rule books, my army lists. It's easy to take from table to table, has my a bottle of water, a snack, like Rashad said. But I think having just some general medical supplies can be useful, too, when you're going to a tournament, just some basic stuff. Um, yeah, water, hydrate. Water. We drink so much yeah. during tournaments, drink water during the tournament, like, it's a lifesaver. I sometimes forget when I'm drinking too Having much, some but... glue, uh, you're right, if something breaks, uh, having maybe a paintbrush or some basic model supplies can be really useful too for fixing any um, any issues you come across. So and I think the big one too, then then it comes down to how to how do you how do you in bringing what's the most important thing you gotta bring, right? Is you gotta bring your army. And I think that's where how traveling with an army really depends on if you're flying or driving. Um, I know for us, we have to fly for a lot of the bigger events. So I know I, I fly with my army sort of the same way as Rashad does, which is sort of the the metal toolbox that can either fit under the chair in front of you or in an overhead. And I just magnetize all my multi-bases so they just fit right into the toolbox. Nothing moves. The toolbox either goes in the overhead or underneath the the chair in front of you. Um, that's been the most successful way to fly with an army and then driving. I take the same thing or maybe I'll take a different figure case or, but magnetization with multi-bases really seems the best way to fly or to travel. Does anyone else have any other ways that they like to travel with an army that they found successful? Just regarding magnetization, I was going to say, um, after now doing it for a while too, one thing I love about it is 
depending on how heavy your model is or how brittle your model is, like for example, on a single individual that's maybe a resin cast, it's a very small light model, I may want to only have like a five millimeter rare earth magnet on, right? To like adhere, maybe even something smaller. And um, on like a really, really heavy model, I found to have like, you know, maybe eight magnets to be better. But it all depends on like, I, I found sometimes I over magnetize and I broke models like that before because I had to take them in and out of the box quite a few times. So like it, you have to pull so hard to pull it out of the metal case, it like exactly. will snap. Or, yeah, that's no, you bring up a really good point of trying to find that sweet spot of how magnetized do I want to make my magnetization? Yeah, exactly. For sure. Like you can overdo it as well. And what about you, Mike? How do you travel with your army? Do you go magnet-wise, or what's your method? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, you guys all hit some of the, the great points. of. Uh, so I was, I was just uh, great appreciating some of the, some of the comments. Uh, yeah, so a, a couple years ago, Scott uh, presented a, a gift to me, and it was a, a, um, a, a transparent plastic container and it was a double tier utility box ultimately and so what it has is a couple latches on the side that um in effect you have a top tray and a bottom tray so all your models can go on the bottom and it's transparent and the dimensions of it are the actual ship uh, sizes that are smaller than what fits inside of an overhead compartment that you can take on an aircraft. Uh, so some airlines you may find a little trouble, like a, a couple of them have a little bit smaller ones, but I didn't have any trouble when I flew on one of those. But um, uh, so basically it's uh, something you could get at something like the container store. You can order it online, you can have it delivered to your house or whatever. And it's called, uh, they're, they're called double tier uh, utility translucent boxes. So it, it might be a little bit to look for, but that's what you would be looking for in the container store. And I noticed a couple of them uh, were at uh, the event, Lone Wolf, which is great. And some of our team here had taken them. I know that for sure. Um, so that might be a good way to go. So what I've done with my container box is I've magnetized the bottom with um, go to Home Depot, grab some of that uh, magnetic paint. And so you just brush it on with a, a brush. It's oil-based. Um, and then let it dry for the day and um, magnetize the bottoms of your units now i've been using a little bit thicker magnet uh, just to make sure that if something comes up it doesn't come off but um since i've done that i haven't had a broken model uh, so that it's i mean it's sometimes maybe a sword might break off but but seriously i mean I, so kyle you you just used one how did yours work it worked great i uh i kind of rushed the magnetic paint on the bottom which um you know, it made it made it too wavy. I I, <laughs> I brushed it. and It took a, a while longer than I thought to dry, and I didn't have a second brush. So when I used the the second coat to make sure it was on there solid, I made a bunch of ridges, so it doesn't quite uh, lay on there flat. So I might my, have to. My obvious. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> you're the you're the master say, of this. That's, so. that's that's my first recommendation: is no second coat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I already failed. To Magnetized. Master. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sorry, interrupt. So I may I may I may just peel that try and peel it off and, and reset it. Uh, other thing is I, I used a I used a smaller plastic box uh, previously and I carried all my tokens in a separate container. And for that one I just got a uh, a thin piece of uh, sheet steel and cut it to size. So I may try that out if I can um, 
find an appropriate size one and just and do that just because i know yeah, that a lot of people like to do that uh cut cut the metal sheets to the sides of the very useful boxes yeah. or the the translucent yeah. box right and you just get epoxy or whatever and yeah and put it down that way yeah, but what i love about the box uh mike got and as soon as i saw him uh use it i'm like this is perfect is it has a ton of storage space on top to put all any I have way more room than I need to put all the gadgets and gizmos and weird things and dice and stuff like that uh, to carry around me. And it's all in one box. And then I bought a carry strap handle so I don't have to carry it two hands. I can just carry it one hand. Uh, but what's also nice is that even though it says small on it, it can fit It can fit almost any model you can think of. There's some like super tall models that won't fit standing up in there. And you'll kind of have to figure out your own thing. I know Rashad uh, is toolbox. He has some really tall models there. But because it is pretty – it's kind of narrow but very tall. It will fit taller models easier than this does. As long as you're not using anything crazy, it will it, fit most anything you want. And I – with plenty of room. Like I have a 17-drop uh, you know, foot dwarf army and, I, and I'm only using two-thirds of the box. So I can bring a Armada fleet with me to play on the side for tournaments or you know, whatever other army I want to bring with me pretty easily uh, you guys bring up some good points and just to, really quick before we get too far uh mike brought up a really good point about knowing the specifications of the airline that you're flying on every airline has a baggage policy and it will tell you exactly what the dimension is for for that they allow for carry-on baggage and all you got to do is just measure whatever you're going to take and just make sure that it falls within the airline's criteria and maybe if it's half an inch over, I mean, you're not going to – I would be shocked if you ever run into to, uh, to problem. But for me, I, traveling with models to me is already uh, kind of nerve-wracking. So I like to uh, eliminate when I'm traveling to the tournament as much of as many things that there are for me to worry about because I'm already sort of stressed going with my army that's why i like to get to the airport super ahead of time uh, i make sure that my carry-on is under the written specifications of the airline i'm flying just because i know i'm taking care of those little things it's one thing less for me to have to worry about because traveling with my army is already stressful and um you bring up another good point about rashad's army i think when you're designing the army itself right it's good to think about what if you really get into tournaments have that be at the start of your project right so if you do want to have an army with your giant 20 foot tall flying monster maybe you have that for the army that you know you're only ever going to take the local events you're not whereas when you're traveling have in your mind like is this army going to be good to travel with is that is that something you guys ever think about when you're thinking about a new project is is this going to be easy for me to maneuver to tournaments for me it's for more sure. like height of models like can i fit how tall this model is in my carrying capacity. That's really the only thing I think of. Yeah, I was going to say that's how I like when we, when we picked this, Jeremy brought up this good point. I was actually going to say the same thing earlier. Um, the, all the airlines have approximately the same size that they allow. And it's about 21 or 22 inches by a foot by a foot about some are 10 by 10 inches, some are 10 by 11 inches. So if you find a metal case that's in that range, I would say buy one that's like an inch below that, and then you should be fine with every airline. One thing I like about the metal case versus the plastic is that you can even like light models, even a troop of like plastic models with like two or three magnets, you can even attach to the top of the metal box and you can fly with it like that. So you could potentially bring 4,000 points of foot goblins if you wanted to. 
Right. And he so means it's like, it's on the the underside. It's upside down, so you can exactly use, right on yeah. the walls, right? Yes. Uh, however, like the plastic version, the, the the plastic box where you can take metal uh, plates and put them to the bottom of it, that works as well. There, you don't have that option, but that's going to be overall a lighter version of the metal toolbox. The metal toolbox itself is heavy. You have to carry it into the plane. You know, it's like always stressful to get it to the plane. If there's a little space, you can bump and stuff. So you know, it still works. Cool. Matthew Temple asked a question, and I think this is something that uh, where is hotly debated, which is the traveling with a display board. You know, he asked, uh, "What's the best way to bring a large display board?" I'm of the mind of you make a display board and then you leave it at Jeff Swan's house, and then that's sort of <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what I do. But um, that is something to be kippies. Not only is the display board good. Because whether or not the TO says it's part of the hobby or not part of the hobby, we all know display boards influence you. And I don't, I don't even want to get into that debate, right? Because that's a whole show in and of itself about display boards. But the display board also, you need it at a tournament because you're having to move from table to table, right? So you need something, I found, as opposed to putting everything back in your figure case, which you could do, I guess. Having a board to carry your stuff around. It's just so much easier. But what do you guys think about display boards? I mean, I guess you can make it to fit in your, in your checked bag, or you can check, you make a box like Scott did and that you check that's solely just your display board or you can ship it ahead of time. Or what has your guys thoughts been on trying to travel with display boards? I've been Uh, liking, uh, uh, mailing my own board. If it's like a size that's too large to be put on a, uh, you know, to be checked. But checking is actually not a bad way of doing it if you're flying to a tournament. Obviously, if you're driving, that's not big, that big of a deal. But if you're flying, I would say checking is may, may be the best way of doing it um, instead of even uh, sending it via mail because it's, it might be cheaper to just uh, have a check back or even free. One thing I did, and I, I have yet to test it because once I finished it, um, COVID happened, so I haven't really had a chance to uh, and I changed armies as well. I had a chance to fly with it, but I made, right, I, I had a custom uh, cardboard box made at a uh, shipping company that, you know, they, they specialized in shipping odd shaped things like that. So they made a box for me there and they made it double thick so it would be resilient. But uh, the way I had it custom made is I, I got a picture frame and I took the backing out of the picture frame and I just know. If I make any all my display boards on um, the, the size of this picture frame, it's always going to fit this box as long as it's not, not too tall. And I got uh, packing uh, like uh, the high-density packing foam around it. And when I want to change uh, my army and have a different display board, all I have to do is buy another backing for that picture frame, drop that out, put the new one in, and I'm good to go. And, and the picture frame makes it easy to carry around, gives it a nice border so you can um, – it, it kind of helps distinguish the the uh, display board from the things around it and stuff like that. Uh, I'll let you guys know if my army blows up or not when it, when that happens. But it it seemed resilient and it, it, it was nice too. Is that I made it extra tall, uh, so I can any extra doodads I have that are part of the display board instead of leaving them on there and having them bumped off. I can just I had them magnetized. Take that off, put it in the foam, so it's nice and easy. When I get there, magnetized, pop it right back on, ready to go. So that's so that's this is a good good question because uh, Scott's army comes to mind for this. Uh, the big pirate army that was uh, 
um, Player's Choice Award, the 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 scope of his army was so large that we needed to consider um, a number of things. So again, I go back on this because Scott isn't here, so I'll I'll bring it up because uh, Scott and I worked on the the project together. And and when I mean I, I I look at it from a standpoint of I helped him with his ideas. <laughs> you know, it's like he's he's got ideas and he wanted to do it and you know kind of thing. But um, it was it was interesting because the the way that he had done this is he he was trying to integrate as much of the actual materials for shipping his army as well as um, it being for purpose. So the actual board, for example, that his models were standing on, um, what we you know we it had this this nice mountain on it and then it had a tower on it with with the lights and then we had the the the, the smoke machine that came uh, came with it all. It all had to come inside of the packaging. So. So this ended up being, uh, I think it was three boxes. So it was two boxes plus his army. So that that made a real challenge for travel. So uh, there, there's obviously some things learned in that. And uh, so that makes me think of a few things that we had conversations about after that, because uh, I was helping him carry it all <laughs> as, we, as we did this, because we knew how much went into this. And um, so it was one of those things like, okay, well, we got to get it in the car. So now it needs to fit in the Tesla and then, and then it needed to fit. <laughs> and then we need to figure out how we're going to get it from the car to the baggage claim. And then it needed to be checked. And so again, the scope of this went from, we talk a little bit about um, Jeremy, you mentioned uh, how, how these armies are um, it. There's something about the grading and, and, and that that comes in and it's like, do you want to bring all that? And, and you know, if you don't bring it, you're probably not going to reach the thematic presence that and the points that come along with that. And so this is where where really we went the extra level and said, okay, we're going to go all stops <laughs> and make sure that this thing actually makes the presentation. And and you end up going, wow, this is a lot to do. I mean, it's and I'm, I don't want to make it sound like, um, but I can see why people wouldn't bring that. And then might be a little bit feeling it's, it doesn't seem very fair that someone who lives there got more points <laughs> and, you know, because they had a, a fantastic display board. They deserve it if they made the fantastic display board, but the people who travel obviously are going to be struggling. So um, Scott figured out a way, let's travel with this. And, and it was like, okay, let's, so his idea was to build the box that covered up the models and it stored the pump and the, um, and the ship. So if you remember, he has the, a completely made ship <laughs> and that had to get there with no damage. <laughs> so this was a quite a, a task. And, and, uh, that, that, um, day when we got there, we were, you know, Scott was like, man, the ship broke. <laughs> so we were like, Oh no. Uh, and so it was, here's, here, let's get some glue together. And I, I, you know, and we were putting the ship back together that before the morning came and, um, and, and it was, so it really goes into, to make sure, to make sure you pack this stuff in the best you can, if you're going to be one of the traveling, um, competing for best painted type structure. Um, so this, in addition to the box that was closing in and encapsulating everything, there was a second box for shipping, which, which I was like, you know, Scott, we need to put some foam in here and everything in case, you know, the plane is really shaking and, and stuff. And, and there's no significant damage if, cause it's going to be checked right? It's not going in, like, it's going to go with the rest of the freight, <laughs> you know? So we need to put um, stuff on it 
this end up, you know, because you don't want this thing upside down or or people throwing it. And uh, so we did the most we could to make sure this thing was, you know, the whole package was protected. It ended up having some crack damage at the end of the trip on that external box we made. So we were very happy that that happened because um, we don't know if all of the models would have been everywhere or not the models, but the components and and all the things that were part of it. Um, Again, his, his army. Go ahead. Oh, it's, and, and like what you're saying, there's like lots of levels of how hardcore you could go with it, right? Yeah. You know, just like with any sort of hobby element. Um, but I think it's just there are ways to, if you do want to travel with a display board, there are ways you can do it. Whether or not you, whether you want to go crazy or go the picture frame route or whatever, or the sh- send it out shipping route. So there is there is ways to sort of do it. It's just sort of you know where you are in your in your hobby journey. Absolutely, yeah. It all depends on, you know, what are you going for as well. Like Scott is somebody, he's that good at like building armies, I think, that every time he goes to a tournament, he can think about competing for like player's choice. And that's what he likes to do as well, right? And I think, you know, for me, I know that I probably can't go there right now with the way I'm, you know, where my level of hobby is and also how much commitment I put into it. So like I'm usually going for something that, carries my army around while makes it look nice so i get like an acceptable paint score you know what i mean so it really depends on what your goal is yeah something that you're not going to lose points on right that it's just like solid that's what i go for my display boards is i want something that's just solid gonna make my army look good but that i'm not going to be maybe it won't get me bonus points but it's not i'm not going to lose out on anything right i'm it's it's good enough well and you know how you know rob always alludes to that like you don't need to go overboard with the size of your display board to make it look really nice like if you're really into like the you know hobby terrain aspect of the hobby like how to do terrain and stuff like that i think you can pull off something really really nice you know your friend jesse's army was really beautiful like that it was a display board that he could easily carry his army around on but it had resin it had a wooden frame around it it had real looking like you know, water effects and everything. And you can pull that off on like a 24 by 16 sheet. You don't need anything larger than that. Obviously, you can do something a la Ryan Smith or Scott Holcomb too. And those are the ones, or Hank Gooch, those are the ones that then, uh, you know, go for proper player's choice or best painted as well, right? Jordan Lawrence, I should throw in there as well. I love his army at Lone Wolf, one of my absolute favorites. We didn't talk about that much actually earlier about which ones were our favorite hobby armies, but that one really, really... Uh, impressed me wasn't jordan the one that did the purple table that was his right mm-hmm. yeah he also made that yeah. Table. Yeah, it was an actual yeah that, that's gorgeous that yeah. i, I mm-hmm. so bad wanted to play on that table jeez i would so i wanted to play on it so bad that i i started making my own so, <laughs> <laughs> so i got the mat and... okay so we made the trip right we we're on the we've driven we've we've flown we have our display board or whatever we want to do so we're now actually at the tournament Sort of the things that stand out to me as far as like what to keep in mind when you're actually at the tournament. I mean, a lot of it we've already talked about, right, is seeing your friends or going to see events or whatever. But one thing that just sticks out to my mind is just try to be good to your body, right? Because like you said, Rashad, you're eating so much crap and you're you're drinking so much and just make sure you drink some water, you eat some fruit, or you know, you know what I mean? Just like try to get some sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, so try to, not try to sit during your games. Try to sit during your games. Sometimes oh, that's you stand a great, too much. That's a great suggestion. Is when it's not your turn, sit your mm-hmm. butt down. Yeah. 
you know, the reason why people stand is because it gives you a better view of the battlefield. It makes you analyze it better. It gives you better angles, right? But, you know, coming day two or three, if you've been standing the whole time, you really feel it in your back and in your leg. Not a nice feeling. You just want to be able that when you get there, uh, as Kyle Pretzel Twinkie says, for Rashad showing up on day two, he says it's only a 46% chance that Rashad will show up on day two alive. So I think uh, ideally you want that to be more in like in, in the, the north side of 80% that he'll show up healthy and ready to play on day two. Uh, we're learning our lessons with age, my friend, aren't we? Yes, very much. What about Kyle, Mike? Is there anything that, you know, as we sort of wrap up the show, stuff to keep in mind when you're actually there at the tournament that's useful? Um, cash. Is sometimes you know depending on the venue and stuff where you're at, or if somebody goes out to get lunch, it's always. It, I mean, Venmo is a thing, but not everyone has Venmo. Cash is king. Cash always works. No, that's if a really you have good cash. Point. It makes things faster. If you're gonna hit the strip club with Robbie King after, you know, yeah, you're baby, some ones. <laughs> no, the uh, the legal. Uh, what's legal and not legal in the area that you're at for the tournament is always good. <laughs> Yeah, state law changes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, state laws change, <laughs> state to state. So just be aware of your surroundings. Well, awesome. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back on the other side, we'll wrap up the show. This is the Spy Master, Dojo's Everyman, Handsome Tom Annis, and you're listening to Countercharge. Hey, this is Luke from Luke's APS, listening to Countercharge, and we are back. Well, that's cool, guys. I think I think we've covered some stuff to think about. Ideally, I was trying I was trying to 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 give us some stuff to think about at sort of every step of your tournament journey. You know, of of how do I find the tournament that I want to go to? How are tournaments different? What should I think about if I'm flying or if I'm driving? You know, I think I think we've done a pretty good job, sort of step by step, kind of touching base on all those elements uh, of what it takes to to travel to a tournament. Um, but really, the the way you're going to learn this stuff is just to get out there. And we say that to pay attention to whatever the co- current COVID situation is, follow the guidelines of the TO based on whatever locally is going on. But really, the, the way that you get used to playing in tournaments is just playing in them. you got to become seasoned. There's something about just becoming seasoned. I mean, that's what I'm telling sort of the newer Reno guys in our scene is that you just got to get out there like – your, the first Masters I went to was a total eye-opening experience, and I think tournaments are just like that. You just you just got to get out there. Um, so I guess for us, right, the next tournament that we're uh, preparing for, Sans Rashad, because he's going to the, the, the motherland, or the fatherland, um, is Masters, right, guys? That's sort of next on for uh, myself, Mike, and Kyle uh, yeah. is next on the agenda, right, is Masters. Are you guys stoked? Yeah, bring it easy trip. Go back to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Masters is being held at the same same venue as Lone Wolf. And normally, I guess I'll comment on this. Normally, each year, Masters, there's a bidding process, kind of like the Olympics, where the different regions bid. And you say, okay, we're going to hold it, and we want to hold it in our region, and we're going to use this hotel, and it's going to cost this amount, and we're going to have this food. It, basically, it's trying to, to, to sell your region for hosting the Masters. And then the Masters Council will vote. And then that's where we hold masters. Um, but sort of in, with everything going on in COVID, we wanted to pick a spot where we could have the event that has had experience doing events within this new world and also do it with a TO 
who's not only has Mark run Lone Wolf for so many years, Texas did Masters in San Antonio. So when and when it comes to organization and a top notch TO, it doesn't get much better than Mark. Um, so it just made sense for us. And Dallas is a really central located place. So it just sort of made sense that this year we just kind of chose to hold it there um, as a safe central place to hold masters. Um, and the venue is really good. There's plenty of space. It's a really nice, clean, well-maintained hotel. So I know I'm pretty excited too for that. Um, just getting all this last minute stuff. Um, are you going to try to do any gaming when you're in, you said maybe bring some board game, but are you going to check out any stores in Germany, Rashad, while you're there? Honestly, I don't think that's the thing yet right now in Germany, like the vaccine rate. Are they, is they're very, still shut down a lot. Yeah. From, I, I'm talking to all my friends and they're pretty shut down at this moment. Like I'm hoping the first few weeks to be able, uh, you know, I think bars and restaurants and things like that are probably going to open in the next few weeks. And then after that, we're going to see how it goes with, uh, you know, hobby stores. I don't even know. I have, I have no clue how that's going to be. They've been much more strict actually than we've been over here. And they have also rolled out the vaccine slower. So. Well, if you do happen to meet any Fraulein's, just make sure you bring them to our country. I, I hate, I have, I dread this phone call from Rashad of Jeremy. I've met future Mrs. Rashad, and I'm moving to Germany forever. And then, like oh, my, my, my one tear, everyone <laughs> leaves me. But uh, don't you worry about that. I'll be always your California boy with you. Well, I appreciate it. So you got to keep uh, the connection alive, right? Yeah. Now that Britain has moved down to you guys, I'm just like over here, like just by myself. You're the one guy in the watchtower of the north. Yeah. King of the north, Jeremy Duvall. Well, I thought about it. Like I thought, uh, uh, I, I have an idea for a tournament that I would run up here, because especially since Britain is down San Diego, most likely it makes more sense for him to just transition Bay of Kings to San Diego. Uh, and you can still have all the great aspects of a California tournament. So I have a line on a, 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 a maybe a really great spot in um napa that's affordable to maybe hold a tournament and i would call it the grapes of wrath gt and we have napa is so beautiful and we'd have some like agricultural based scenarios and we could have some cool and i would make it like though i would bring in elements of wine culture especially from like ancient greece like dionysus so i have an idea for a really cool trophy so um and i think the grapes of wrath gt is like a cool name so i have some ideas of maybe trying to do uh an event in napa based solely on travel since i have no local scene the whole tournament would be based specifically (laughs) around people traveling so then that way from step one all the logistics could be built around specifically making it as easy as possible for people to travel because it is no local. So that would be a sort of mystique of the tournament that it's a travel tournament to Napa. So, um, yeah, so I have some ideas I'm going to be working on there, uh, not this year or next year, maybe, but in the future, uh, of, of having my own event. So it's on the, on the docket, but, um, so Rashad's getting it. ready to, to go to Germany. And what about you, Mike? You're, you're just, uh, going to be getting ready for masters and any shout outs or anything else on your docket. Yeah, you know, Masters is we is one of the it, it's our flagship event for Kings of War currently, and it, it's an invitational. So I, I, we were talking about what people can do when they go to these big, large events, and I'm I'm certain they're going to be having larger events just like Masters uh, for for everyone to participate in. It, 
although this is an invitational, I think this is one of those opportunities to point out that it, it you can make these kind of events easier by going with a, a partner, finding somebody you can go with and staying in their room or maybe staying together and splitting some of the costs, you know, some of the transport costs together. Um, you know, some when, when I got back into Kings of War and, and it's like, you know what, Master sounds like a great idea, let's go. And and we just kind of split that and, and we just worked it out together. I mean, that's kind of like one of the, uh, uh, the bigger things things to, to look at um, don't always need to rent a car at these kinds of things uh, so so I would you know think about uber or maybe even contacting the TO maybe there's someone that can pick you up at these events um, I'm, I'm sure that that when when we have uh, the the uh, situation down here in SoCal which is which is historically a big gaming community I mean so we've got potential for large events down here um, talk to us and we'll see what we can do to, to, to help people out arrange and, and try to keep some of those costs down. Um, staying at, at hotels is, is always recommended, but staying in the one where the event is really does people some favors. Um, you're right there in the game location. So oh, no, that's a, that was uh, a good point we didn't really talk about, right? When Whenever possible, if you have the opportunities to stay where the event is being held, you should, right? Because then absolutely. you're just walking your army down from your hotel room as opposed to... That's a good point that I don't think we specifically touched on, so... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, I just wanted to, to say that uh, with with the nature of the the invitationals, um, it's always going to be good to to make sure to talk to your 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 group leaders and your community. And sometimes it's just better to to um, work on your community and grow it. If there's something that that needs to be developed there, um, there's there's some incentivizing that that we can work on all together and to help all the communities across the nation to be bigger. Uh, so I mean I think we we can start off with a simple concept. We've we've got the masters platform for people to to try to figure out how to get qualified for an invitational. Uh, but uh, I think we can do something simpler. I, I think we there's some ideas out there. And um, I'm looking forward to to hearing people's interest in uh, a circuit. So yeah, that awesome. would be a, a great program. Cool. Yeah, good ideas. Um, what about you, Kyle? Any final thoughts? Let's party. Yeah. I'm ready to play Kings War again in person. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Let's go to all the events. Well, I can't wait to one day beat Jeffrey Swan. That's my. That's he's my white whale. I gotta have champagne ready. I can't. I, I can't even go into it. I have a whole thing of what's gonna happen when I finally beat him. So I can't spoil it. I'm gonna cut this out of the recording. But I have a whole uh, a show that will be div- uh, a light show anyway. But um, Rashad, you can't uh, cut this out of the recording. This gotta, is the best part of it. What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> I have everybody's got a trophy. Uh, of, I'm already. I've already checked that box. But but uh, I think I hear that a lot. <laughs> I hear it a lot. <laughs> it's um, like you got to keep that in there. Well, awesome. Thanks, fellas. I'm really excited. Thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully, this was of interest to you guys, both new people, uh, uh, tournament newbies, and also maybe we t- it brought up some interesting ideas for you more veteran people. Um, and in honor of Rashad soon returning to the fatherland, I'll let him take us out. In order immer an den Gegenangriff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on. Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. 
If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.